All right, guys. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to uh, Factor Fantasy with Chase and Josh. Got a bad reputation. <laughs> Dirty conversation. I'm I'm super pumped about t- today's episode, man. Like uh, we were we were talking a little bit about it because uh, you know we we left off on uh, the, the conclusion of season five and. Um, you know that was pretty big, and what were you telling me? You were saying that you're like, yeah, man, we're going through this. There's no way that uh, we're going to be able to fit it in the normal amount of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I was oh, after yeah. you, man, dude. So it was just, it was just funny because I was so I, I was so certain that I was right. I'm like, no, bro, like we can absolutely kill this. And so if you guys have been keeping up, it's been three parts for some of the bigger episodes. And I was like, no, we can. It's, you know, nothing crazy. We can absolutely knock this whole thing out in three episodes. So I decided that uh, you guys can kind of know how I normally do the like the whole. Um, Literally, all we knocked down was the wine at that point. <laughs> yeah, <right>. yeah. <laughs> like to get wined and dined before I'm going to season six. <laughs> yeah, so that's exactly what happened. I I kind of knock out a season in two days and uh, going through it because uh, I start a little bit late because I want to keep it fresh in my mind when we start this. Um, Going into it, I uh, I realized that when I was at uh, episode four and I had seven pages worth of notes, uh, which is normally I kind of stay at seven pages, and I was only at episode four of season five or season six. I apologize. Um, I kind of had an idea at that point in time that three was just not going to work. So I, I gave Chase a call and I was like, "Yeah, man, it's going to be four. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. going to be four. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we're uh, you guys uh, stay stay with us here. We're going to go into uh, a little bit about. What you see here, we got a couple new uh, toys and, and tricks uh, for everybody. Got a couple tricks up our sleeve. Serial <laughs> <laughs> tricks is for kids. Not today. Today it's for us. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is what's great about season six. I mean, I was telling Josh, you know, I was thinking the same thing too. I was like, we can knock this out in two, you know, two episodes. We'll be, we'll be fine. Like season five, it's going up and up and then eventually it's going to drop down. Kept going up and up. I was taking notes on this thing. And what the big thing about this is this is really when you start diving into the nitty gritty and you get the theories and you'll start to see really a big difference here between what happens in the show and what happens in the books at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, and to kind of talk about what you guys are kind of seeing here on the screen, uh, for those who are just listening on podcast, we'll try to paint the picture the best we can. Uh, we got some new equipment that we promised. Uh, we were talking about it in our previous podcast that um, we've gotten some new things coming in. So uh, thanks to the, the amount of viewers that we've had, uh, we were able to uh, you know, upgrade our audio equipment. So we have a, a Scarlett Focusrite 8i6 audio interface. We've got two condenser mics, as you guys see right here. Uh, we got these amazing headsets. Uh, dude, I love these headsets, by the way. Yeah, all thanks to you guys. Almost like that stimulus Yeah, it's, it's exactly, yeah, it's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. So uh, on top of that, uh, we, we decided that we were going to... We, we kind of teased it a couple episodes ago. Uh, but we have a couple cards here uh, that we're going to be using to... Uh, you know what my favorite phrase is, Josh? Tell me your favorite phrase, Chase. Uh, let's uh, let's let's get it started for uh, for want, the viewers real quick. How about we get a little, little get a little malice, a little malice in the chalice, in the chalice baby? Let's yeah. Go, mm. Off to the bit of misery with you. That one's not. It's nice and sweet. Oh so. yeah. Boom. So, boom. Boom. What baby. you got, Chase? Read it out to him. So here's what we have here. <laughs> so if if y'all might remember, I threw a little Easter egg out about two episodes ago, and I didn't really plan on it. It's just how <laughs> me and Josh get. So anytime. 
Someone speaking on topic, anytime during this show, if you feel like you should go off topic, just like I did about owls about two episodes ago at the very end, <laughs> which I know y'all are probably thinking like, what, <laughs> what the F, man? Like it's been a two hour, a two hour episode and now he's going to ramble on about our owls for 10 minutes. That don't even show up in Game of Thrones, hey, by the way. Yeah. I, I do love owls, man. So now here's what this is. If anyone, I know back in my uh, grade school era, which Gotta admit, even today, I still kind of, you know, watch an episode. Do some dabbling. Do some Yu-Gi-Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe I'll play like Yu-Gi-Oh or Magic or Dragon Ball Z cards. I don't know. Pokemon or anything. Pokemon cards. That's the biggest one, right? Yeah. So what this says is we actually have a Malice in the Chalice card for all our viewers that might not be able to see it. Uh, So we'll zoom in on that. Yeah. Describing it as well. Just what you guys see, like the picture wise. The, know, what, what is that picture? Yeah, that picture. Uh, this is another Easter egg for coming up yeah, in July. Exactly. We got the Goblet of Fire on here. The Goblet of Fire is the chalice. Surrounded. The oh, yes. <laughs> we got the Goblet of Fire surrounded by the actual uh, sorcery spell ring there. That with prevents the, blue the fire. age prevention so that way the underage people can't yeah. submit their names. This is the exact picture of the goblet with the fire in it when they go put the actual drop their names in it, and it shoots out the letter with your name. Yeah. So what this says here, so anytime Josh is on topic, or he can do the same for myself, so I'm going to see how it backfires pretty soon. <laughs> so it's a trap card, because that's yep. exactly what it is. It's a trap. <laughs> says you may play the Malice and Chalice card at any time during the podcast. may only be used once per podcast host per episode. So you can only use it once, Josh. So don't be trying to use it twice like I do. Yeah. <laughs> Take your own advice. There, exactly. <laughs> when Malice in the Chalice card is played, the other host must immediately finish their thought and give the floor to whatever topic the holder of the card desires. And then both hosts must Malice, Malice in the, the chalice. chalice. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, and then s- we got another one. You want to go to that? Yeah. Well, I want to say we both so we both got the two cards, right? So I've got mine. He's got his, so I'm going to like grab it from him and throw it down, right? Uh, but uh, so the second one that we have is called The Great Debate. Now, so the biggest premise of this entire uh, like show that we do, a lot of it is breaking down what happens and giving our opinions and thoughts. But also a big part of it is debating, hey, in these hypothetical scenarios, what do you think versus what do I think? And so if we approach a topic, one of us approaches a topic and we want to throw a, like a debate out there and just kind of like get that, like, you know, the thoughts bumping back and forth of what we think of certain situations. We've got the great debate card and we've got almost the best. So if you're any sort of a Dragon Ball Z fan at all, it's always between Goku and Vegeta. So the two biggest rivals, the two biggest rivals, time. right? So there it's just a, a straight up face off of base level Goku versus base level Vegeta. Uh, this is an instant dispute card. Uh, this one basically it has, it has a similar um, use as the Malice and the Chalice card. This one it says you may play the Great Debate card at any time during the podcast. The podcast host who plays the Great Debate card will pick any topic relevant to the current episode to debate versus the other host. Now each host may play the Great Debate once per podcast episode, and again, both hosts must. Malice in the Malice chalice. Malice in the chalice. 
So, so these are some things to uh, look out for through uh, today and then next week's podcast as well. We're gonna be rolling this out, and uh, you know it's gonna be funny. I wonder if one of us is just not gonna use it. We'll just like forget all oh, about yeah, it right now. But uh, no, I'm um, I'm still trying to convince Josh to get a tipsy gypsy card. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just imagine that, like a little jasmine princess with a little <laughs> teapot and it's pouring out some wine. <laughs> Got some- the thing is, like, what we'd have to figure out is, like, what that card would... would uh, what it would do yeah, is exactly. require you to drink until you couldn't stand, <laughs> and then you have to finish the topic, Josh. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep the option open there. I think we could, we could come up with something that uh, um, incorporates a little bit about the episode, too. That's, well, that's the biggest thing. We want, we want to make sure oh, yeah. that uh, we, we tackle some of the fun things. Like, with the, you know, we can do anything with just, you know, we drink half the, half the bottle like in oh, <laughs> the yeah. first What's, opening episode. Here, so. I'm ready for this to be like Ramsey Snow. I get caught in my own trap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We want which, you to watch. Which is pretty great because that's actually something that you will be getting in part four, probably. Episode four uh, oh, for, yeah. of, our, of our podcast, uh, Breaking Down Season 6. So, yeah, um, you want to go ahead and dive into it? This kinda, is where we Yeah, get... absolutely. Uh, the first thing I want to mention, too, is, you know, we are now solely in Dance with Dragons. Uh, we're in the last book that George R. R. Martin wrote, and we're in season six, which is, you know, at the conclusion of season six, we got season seven and eight where it's just straight um, Wise and Benninghoff. And we'll talk about, you know, the, the good and the bad with that. But um, where we kind of left off uh, last week when we went ahead and, and did this is uh, for season five, uh, obviously, uh, Cersei, she had her walk of atonement. Uh, that was really big, too. We, we learned that uh, Sir Gregor the Mountain still lives. And then, obviously, the big, big, you know, not twist, but, like, the shocker at the end of Season 5, uh, Jon Snow getting stabbed. Um, he got stabbed. See, I did, I did the, I counted it out. He got stabbed six times. <laughs> six he got times. stabbed six times, six Ollie times. being the last. And then we're going to talk about why I don't understand um, – in this coming one, <laughs> what we're going <laughs> to tackle today, I'm a little upset because it's like it's like these these little plot holes that you know they're not really important for people like us who are nitpicky. It's like why did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's kind of where we left off. Jon Snow was uh, bleeding out in in the snow, um, and uh, I think that's where we want to pick up and start for season six yeah hey one thing real quick just a little off topic i love how you even put first edition on these bad boys shout out to our uh our good friend marla so we got a new um designer now yeah. so we got uh, uh she's done great on our stuff she's gonna be making some banners for us she's pretty awesome but um going into you know john here the big kind of reveal um i do think it's very important to say so in the books the rumor of why John could have possibly been Azora High is because John is, we don't know if he's alive or, or not in the books at this moment. Right. So it's very important to know that when we start digging into things in the show regarding, regarding John, you know, when's a winner? <laughs> Who knows when that's going to come out? He's got all, he's got all. Yeah, we've got no excuses now. Yeah, yeah. We, we, you got all. Yeah. Now that the coronavirus is around, he's got nothing to do nothing but sit in his place and write winner. that book. <laughs> and uh, you guys stay safe out there, by the way. Yes. Um, do you want to let you guys know that we are thinking of you? We see all your reviews that do come through. Uh, trust me, there's not one that doesn't get noticed. Um, so we'll always post those on our Instagram official uh, Ridiculous Patronus. Yeah, I'll get like, you know, I'll be like hanging out in the house and I'll get like eight messages in a row yeah, from Chase. Oh, yeah, and from I, I open up the text message like thread and it's just yeah. all the, yo, bro, look at these new reviews. And it's amazing. I, oh, I, yeah. I get so happy every time I see him. You can follow uh, me and Josh, uh, Arbrow129, Jay Nelly. You know, he usually wears the Nelly, Nellinator. <laughs> yeah. 
But um, yeah, let's, the first episode over here is uh, the Red Woman. Man, do we have a bone to pick with this one? We have a big bone to pick with the Red Woman. Um, for so to kind of give you guys the set the scene of how this season six opens, what you really like, you really don't see much other than Jon Snow in the snow, but you hear ghosts crying. And Ghost is like going nuts, like like not just a regular like wolf howl, and like banging against the the where they keep him in that like like barn area, that shack area, trying to get out of the doors. And Sir Davos, he's he's an early riser, by the way. He's always up early in the morning. And we'll talk about that too when we get into like the later <laughs> episodes. But uh, he he just happens to be like awake at this time because it's got to be like I would say probably what five a.m. in that like if I was gonna put a time to it. It'd probably be 5 a.m. Uh, where like the sun hadn't come up yet. It was super early, and um, yeah, Sir Davos comes out of uh, his quarters, looks down. He sees he sees it's a body. He doesn't even realize it's Jon Snow at first, um, but he walks up to it, and uh, yeah, you see Jon Snow just laying there with a bunch of stab wounds, dead in the snow. Yeah, and think about the way Sir Davos is at this time. Like almost like if you had stayed up all night before a test, or you know you are just gotten written up at work or something up till five in the morning because think about it stannis you know it, it, he knows at this point stannis's army is completely depleted um and where he's at at this moment in in the books it's so detailed as far as john goes is it leaves off in the books as it says the wounds were smoking from the night air and what you can really see in the show at the end of season five which opens up here when you're looking at john all you're seeing at this point, you really can't even see like multiple stab wounds. It's almost panned out where the blood is just like pools around him and his, you know, his hair is completely like flattened on the ground. Like almost like if you take a broom and smash it against the floor, like you've done a bunch of cleaning all day. <laughs> but yeah, just laying there and you're, I remember thinking at this point, like this, this is it. Like the Starks aren't catching a break besides never, you know, Hopefully, you know, you got Arya that's been blind at this point. <laughs> um, you know, John's laying on the floor. Uh, the guy that was supposed to be our king of the north at this moment. Well, um, not, not quite yet. Not quite yet. But, but yeah. you know. The Lord Commander of the, uh, the Night's, Night's Watch. Watch yeah. And, I, I mean, all that's really panned out is our, uh, which really I can't even say panned out yet. <laughs> even Danny's over there trapped, uh, leaving leaving signs for people, you know. So, yeah, the one thing too, like to your shambles. point, like with the visuals there, and and it, I, they did a great job of actually uh, putting this in the show in the books, like you were saying, like the wounds were smoking in the night air. You can see the steam coming out because obviously, if you guys, you know, maybe for the the southerners in here who don't, uh, never had to deal with any sort of snow or really cold weather, um, up north, I'm from New York, right? So, um, uh, yeah, right, Chase over here is from Georgia. <laughs> so he hasn't had to deal with any real, 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 real cold weather. But what ends up happening is like 70 degrees. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so what ends up happening is that like your heat from your like when you talk and like your um, breath is warmer than the air outside, you can see your breath. Right. So uh, when and it's the same sort of deal with anything uh, that, that comes out. So now when you're stabbed and all the you know, your blood body temperature runs at 98.6 is, is like the. Is like the base level for human blood or the human body. So when he was stabbed in all those places, all of that heat 
got immediately released and so you can see like the fog and steam coming out of his wounds in the show and it just like it said you know the, the wounds were smoking in the night air it was really cool yeah and just real quick i mean the settings on these shows in the show is gorgeous like i know they filmed a lot in spain you know literally you feel like they're almost in like antarctica or something mm-hmm. where john is and it's you it's so descriptive and and visually stunning you almost feel like you're literally there like with the cross that says traitor on it near john john's laying on the ground literally our starks man can't catch a break it's like aaron Rodgers with no offensive line <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh you know and at this point in time other you know that i found this really funny like you know uh and as far as the, the tv series goes here what, what happens next when um dolores ed and uh, Sir Davos and like the five other brothers kind of like all come out at the same time. Like, how how likely is it that just all of them, the only ones that were loyal to Jon Snow, just happened to be out there at the same time? That was a bit. That was a bit ridiculous. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, yeah. they just like you know instead of anyone else being out and around, like nope, these are just happened to be the yeah. five people at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was interesting. But they they pick his body up. And they bring him inside that yeah. room. They I'll put him on the to him. I'll give him the odds. Like, yeah. I can slide with that. There's a lot more other things we can nitpick about. Yeah, it's just, uh, I, I don't know. There's a big one in this episode. Yes, there is. <laughs> There's um, a big one that we're, oh, we're going to get into that. But I'm glad you dove into this because, you know, at the opening of this episode, it really shows, you know, when they pick him up and bring him inside, Sir uh, Davos and Locke are pissed. Like, they're ready to fight. Um, Ooh, Dolores said Locke was the guy that tried to kill Brandon Rickon. Oh yeah, don't he's the one that took him. he's the one that took Jamie's hand uh, off. Sir, oh, uh, his name was uh, Dolores Ed. You know, yeah. I'm terrible. In yeah, names. Ed Dollet is like the full. Ed, yeah. you gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dolores Ed and Sir Davos. They're they're literally like you know those are the guys that would have you know taken a bullet for John if they could. Which is interesting. Let's talk about that for a second. Like when did like Sir Davos is like a loyalty and allegiance just change on the drop of a hat? Like Stannis Stannis's <laughs> body wasn't even like dead in the like it wasn't even like cold in the ground yet and he's like, "Up, oh, Jon Snow's a new guy." Didn't I tell you what I thought of Sir Davos back in Clash of Kings episode? Yeah, actually I think you told me in the very first episode, I think. I think you told me in the game because of Because he's that dirty Harry that has no loyalty. I don't know. He will betray you in an instant if it comes down to you're winning the war. I don't. I see. I I disagree. I think he he puts his faith behind somebody until like like what's he gonna do? Is he supposed to stay faithful to Stannis when Stannis is dead? <laughs> like what's he gonna do? He's not. He can't build an army by himself. He even says it himself. Actually, later in this exact episode, he's never been a fighter. Like you know, like what's he supposed to do? Did he actually even? I mean, you gotta say. I guess they did really build that relationship because. I mean, I don't know. Did he really even know John at that point? Like, you know, they got taken over by Stannis. That's basically all he really knows. Yeah, John. Really, I mean, this like here's the thing that he knows about John. Like, he knew Stannis saw something in John because number one, Stannis wanted to raise John to John Stark uh, to kind of help him gather the wildlings and take back the North. So he's like, he sees something in your boy, uh, you know. So and like, I, I believe because I think that has a lot to do with it because Sir Davos loves Stannis. He said he brought me up and made something. He, like, and actually, in the episode of Battle of the Bastards, uh, that is going to be in a couple ones from now for us that we're obviously we're not going to get to this week. But um, in that one, he talks about like you know I was a I was like I was a crabber, then I was a smuggler, and then you know he raised me up to you know where he had me at that point in time. So I think it was I think he saw John as an extension of Stannis in a way because Stannis like had plans for John, like wanted John to be like one of the you know leaders yeah. of his army or like like a, a commander and you know a leader so i think that's kind of what it was is more along the lines of like 
listen, the person that I put all my trust and faith in who's now dead had shown like interest in seeing like developing this kid. So I think you know, maybe this is the way to go. Which I could I could see that. I mean, do you think Sir Davos even really has any opinions of his own? I guess for what's going to happen later on in the season, I would say he does because he makes a stand for one person out there that he's seen almost like his own daughter, which will we'll get into that later. would do that. That was that scene gave me chills, bro. Like that, that seriously yeah. did like when he like, I felt that emotion. That was some good acting right there. Like that, scene was, yeah. which we won't get away. Yeah, get away, no, that was, we'll, but that was every bit as powerful as the Tyrion speech. Like when he was on trial, right. that, that was pretty, it was yeah. intense, but uh, yeah, no, let's, you know, let's talk a little bit about the red woman because uh, when she came in and saw that Jon Snow was dead, she was like in disbelief like like this girl's god had abandoned her right pretty much so she thought stannis was the prince that was promised like she thought she was supposed to like sacrifice shireen the king's like the people with king's blood like you know so she said she sacrificed shireen and like they they still lost so she's kind of broken inside from that and then she's like i saw i saw Jon snow fighting on the the, the battlements of winterfell yeah. like that's you know what that's so crazy is like to think about in her perspective and like everything like, because she's been right all this whole not right but like everything has been coincidentally kind of holding up to like her thoughts and her ideals and like the biggest like the biggest and most desperate moments now it's he, like she had nothing and you can see how broken she is after this remember he goes over to her and she's like staring at the fire and like like she just she's a shell of her former self i will say she <clears throat> you got to think of what Melisandre has been through at this point um you know, she firmly believed, like, deep down, which is why you went through all this stuff with Mance Raider and all that stuff. She thought Stannis was the prince who was promised yeah. for so long. And she's basically broken at this point. Like, doesn't, like, you got to think, you know, she's was working, doing, just like Stannis, like, kept pressing forward, kept pressing forward. You know, as we talked about, she literally the one thing Stannis loved more than anything she sacrificed which was Shireen um going back into what we talked about in season five it, it got to that point where she believes so much in this now she's like I don't know and I think it's important you bring this up too because in the books actually it's really funny it starts to go into this point she starts to think John in the book is Azora a high. Mm-hmm. I always pronounce it wrong. <laughs> yeah, that, that, one, that one's a tricky one for me. <laughs> Azora High. Um, there's actually even a point in the books where she starts to question herself and ask if Danny was Azora High. And Danny can't be because she's not a prince. But maybe that's that's something that hasn't been discussed yet in the books, but which is interesting because that actually is something that's touched on in the series, right? Remember, like the it's, again, we're not going to jump too many seasons, but the priestess over in Marine, right, was kind of telling you know because it was it was uh, like it was said in Old Valyria that the pro- like that prophecy is in Old Valyrian, and basically um, in, in in Valyrian that word has no gender, like there's no gender association to the word for prince or princess. Mm-hmm. So, so but, it makes you wonder, but I do think. You know, going to the point, I keep calling him Locke. What's his name? Ed. Ed. I'm going to put that on here. Yeah. <laughs> Ed Stark. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I just messing with you. But, you know, Ed even says at one point, you know, they're they're broken down by this too, but it really goes to show the loyalty he had for John. Because think of how 
outnumbered they were at this point. You know, Alistair Thorne had his entire group. That just well, what you should do is you should talk about that for a second. How like Alistair Thorne admitted to the entire like oh, yeah. Night's Watch that he yeah. had a whole meeting in the in the conference, like basically admitting his treason. Like, yeah, I killed my Lord Commander, and these guys here did, up here did it with me. Yeah. And like instead of like them overthrowing him, like he somehow was like, like the Night's Watch means everything to me, and like these people, it shows you how easy you can brainwash and like influence people because if these people were all about their duty, like the Night's Watch is supposed to be, killing your Lord Commander, they should have they should have all like hung Thorn and Yarwick and the rest of them. Yeah. Like, you know, that should have been no question. But then like, oh, you know what? Maybe it was for the best. <laughs> like, I mean, Ed even <laughs> says here, like it was so brutal. Yeah. Uh, John Snow was my friend and these fuckers butchered him. Yeah. Like like a dog. Like they stabbed him. I forgot how many stabs Six it was. Times. Six times. Oh, divided by two. Symbolism of three. Yeah. With, I understand why you're just dividing out of nowhere. Big why why are we dirty. just taking numbers to divide? Why are we just taking play, them from the sky? Play the mouse like, and the child's card right yeah. now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, uh, um, no, but, I think that just real quick, just because you're talking about Ed real quick, I thought one of the, the most, the biggest quotes, and like when you're talking about his loyalty to John, um, it was when he, he said this. He's like, if you were looking to survive the night, you picked the wrong room. Right. Like, that was badass. Was like, like they were ready to go. That was badass. Remember, yeah. he told him, he said, prepare to die today. I say we take Thorn with us. And then yeah. Sir Davo said, we don't have the numbers. It just goes to show how many that Alistair Thorn had with him and the loyalty they had for John. Like, it was almost like someone avenging their own father or their own brother. Like, you, at that point, all you see is red. Because yeah. he didn't even care. Like, he didn't. Ed didn't want to think about the proper way to win back John's vengeance. He wanted to take it upon himself because he didn't care how many he took on because you basically destroyed his own, you murdered his brother at that point. Yeah, I mean, they're all supposed to be brothers. And I think that was the biggest betrayal. It's like, we're the Night's Watch. We're the brothers of the Night's Watch. You don't kill each other. Like, that, like the Night's like there's some mutiny or some treason, like, you know, how they had to do back in Craster's Keep with the other ones who ended up killing Gior Mormont. But the biggest thing here is that they they weren't um, present at the whole meeting and like hey they they're gonna know that we're not present there so they're gonna come for us. He's like I, I say we take Thorn and as many of those fuckers with me as we can. Yeah, it's exactly what he said. And then Dava's like you know we don't have to like yeah we're gonna fight but we don't have to die because we're not you guys are not the only ones that owe their lives to Jon Snow. That was dead on. Yeah, that was literally dead on. Quote unquote. I had the quote <laughs> and it literally said. We won't need to die, not if we have help. You're not the only ones that owe your life to Jon Snow. Yeah. Man, you, this guy, not even looking at his notes here. Like, yeah, I just yeah. That, that's no, why I watch. Josh so knows close. his stuff. Man. <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah, so like you know, that makes the inference that obviously who else owes their life to Jon Snow? The wildlings, right? Um, and so you kind of had like it was almost like a race against time, because at that point we don't even know where the wildlings are. Uh, you know, Ed has to go out there and and find them. I, I know that they. They took over one of the towns that were near. I, I forget the name of it. It wasn't Molestown. It was a different one um, because he had, he had just brought them from, like John had just brought them through, through from Hardhome when all that the, that massacre happened at Hardhome, right? So it, it was one of the it was one of the, the um, towns or cities along like that is uh, you know kind of part of the wall. Um, so he has to go get these wildlings with hopes that like that he's gonna get enough people to like hey 
can we do something about this or not? Like these these wildlings, they they owe Ed nothing. Like they don't even have to like see him. You know what I mean? So that was a big thing too. Like is Ed going to be able to rally these people that you know other than just being like, hey, listen, they they took out John, who you guys owe your lives to. Like we yeah. didn't know if that was going to happen or not. I mean, think of it like this: it's almost as if like when JFK died, or someone kills your president, or someone kills your king, or someone kills a leader of your country. Um, but think of it as if you're in the perspective, you're in the shoes of the guy that was like, you know, your head bodyguard that spent all day with you. That was protecting you this entire time. Like it, it was that kind of level, almost like, you know, the movie angel has fallen <laughs> with Gerard Butler. If it had a little bit better actors besides Morgan Freeman, just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> and I mean, Leonidas, you got to give him some credit. Right. Um, but it, it was such a, deep level of emotion because you put yourself in Ed's shoes. He was ready to die. Oh, he when he came into the same recruit class as John. Remember, like, yeah. like they all were like, kind of in the same recruit class, or or it was no, it was a little bit before John. That was my mistake. But uh, yeah, you know, and so this is all going on over at the wall, and then this kind of shifts a little bit, you know, uh, you know, back to Winterfell, and we see Ramsey has a very Ramsey. <laughs> He has a a very, very strange relationship with this Miranda (laughs) girl because, like, see ya, Harley Quinn. (laughs) He, he, like, cares about her. But at the same point in time, like, he doesn't. It's it's very, very strange because what I have here in my notes, uh, like, he was talking about how he's going to make everyone pay like a thousand times over for the pain that she endured and that like like how she died. The people who were responsible were going to, or they were going to pay for it. And then at the very end, so like the like uh, the father of of Miranda is like, well, do you, should we have like a pyramid or should we bury her? He goes, <laughs> burned, buried. She's good meat. Feed her to the hounds. Like and what in the world? <laughs> like you just went on this whole soliloquy about how you're gonna avenge this girl's death and how much she meant to you and how like you got that was big reminiscent of how you met and you know where it ended up. And then as soon as they're like, oh well, you know how are we gonna lay to rest? He's like, ah, eh, she's good meat feeder to the dogs. Like what? That's literally yeah. <laughs> like what He's, in the world? <laughs> Ramsey is that sick. Like that's how mentally psychotic he is that you really got to dive into his own skin at this moment. Like this is the girl he. he cared for from the beginning like it was yeah. his harley quinn harley everyone yep. gets a ride <laughs> apparently <laughs> um but it at that moment like this is the person i gotta say person because i don't think ramsey's ever been really close to anyone not even his father really no <laughs> <laughs> not even his own father that's dead in front of him that's been through him with him through thick and thin like it uh, literally is the Joker's Harley Quinn and he's sitting here like like comes down to the end like doesn't give a fuck like this feed is so the strange. yeah like <laughs> of all the things like you know you would think like the, the thing that struck me is like you're saying all these nice kind things you're showing some level of true human emotion and then like you just throw it all away with that last sentence yeah burn buried she's whatever. good me whatever hounds, who cares right? whatever she's like, good me wild like but, it's I mean you are even start to wonder at that point like <laughs> is Ramsey even human? <laughs> Who does that? And it's secret? funny because I'm gonna make like a like a this this is my own thoughts because what it kind of leads into this next like what happens after that. Uh, Roose Bolton, I believe, has a huge hand in like being like kind of how Ramsey turned out, why he turned out because Roose Bolton plays a lot of mind tricks and like you know kind of gets you like fired up without really kind of doing it. Uh, like he does it on purpose. He kind of gets you like you know under your skin 
but like he does it in a nonchalant way so it's like he has that like like that mental warfare that he'll play with you so then this is why i say that because remember what, exactly what um Bruce Bolton said to Ramsey, he said, he, he basically threatens Ramsey and says, you know what, if you, if you know, if we don't get Sansa back, let's just hope my new child is a son. I mean, like, I, like, I, really, like, I mean, think about Miranda though. Her, her, her death was in vain because all she ever wanted was to win over Ramsey's allegiance. And even to the point of, remember that whole 50 shades of gray episode yeah. we had last season where he's literally having sex with her as she's pissed off. They're and he's still fight. winning her over. Like she's doing whatever he can to win her over, and then in the end, she's dog meat. Like think about that. She's dog meat. Yeah. Like I'm, that's what she meant to him was trash. And like that's a thing too. Like Ramsey has so many like uh, uh, like allusions to dogs. Like his his dad even has to tell him like listen like if you if you act like a mad dog you're gonna be treated like a mad dog. Like taken out back and slaughtered for pig feed. That's exactly what Bruce Bolton said to Ramsey. So I I see. Ex- like not exactly why Ramsey obviously took this to the next level, but I think Bruce Bolton had a huge, huge part into why Ramsey is the way that he is because he does that mental warfare stuff. Like, you know, he just is. It's yeah. his way. He's he's like Lord Tywin, but like more more like. How can I say this? The <laughs> Joker, kind of. Yeah, because like, think about it, like. Straight up, I'm talking. I'm I talking about uh, no, not Ramsey. I'm talking about Roos. <laughs> oh, Roos. Yeah, yeah, like because he, he's kind of like Lord Tywin, but he's kind of more sadistic. And like, I mean, think about it. His own his own sigil is like a man with his uh, up, hanging upside down on like an, an X cross with like their skin peeled. That's like that's what you want people to like know you're coming by is because on your banners you have the flayed man because they burned. Like <laughs> it, it's the craziest. Like I, so, I think Roos Bolton has a big, big part in like why Ramsey turned out the way he did. And I'm glad you brought that up because this starts to lead into what kind of happens next. You know, Roos start to really blame Ramsey at this point, and this is when they they start to fall apart. Because remember, he even says, "You're nothing without an heir." Like he's putting so much pressure on Ramsey because at this point, remember, Ramsey has been named a Bolton now. He's no longer a Snow because Roos starts to care more about him. Um, and the thing is, like, I don't even think it's care. I, this is what I think. It's like you accomplish a task, so you get a reward. I don't think it's really that he cared about him, man. And like, that's what it, it's just. Um, I would say, I mean, he proved is, his worth, though. He, exactly. He, he accomplished the task. So the issue like, that we were talking about, like, you know, you're nothing without an heir. Think about it from Roos's side. He legitimately stole like like. Cersei has had like a bounty out for Sansa since uh, Joffrey died because like she thinks that Sansa was involved in Joffrey's murder, and then like Roose Bolton literally betrayed the people who he made an alliance with to kill Rob Stark back in season three. Like he he betrayed them all, and he married uh, he married Sansa Stark to his son. So now like he's got control of the North, and so now that they let Sansa get away everything is slipping like the whole reason that like that was the bride that was set up is because it was going to secure his hold on the north to have a stark you know in like like in his family so which leads into you know then it starts to show you know sansa is over here escaping with theon yeah yeah absolutely i'm talking about that a little bit uh they're they're being chased by by uh ramsey's hounds and his men um very similarly like these hounds are very well trained um, cause like, <laughs> Ooh, cause he tries, yeah, right. he tries to, uh, 
escape going through the, that water, that like little crick water there. And she's like, no, it's too cold. I'm going to die. He's like, listen, I've seen what the hounds can do to people. Dying this way is better. <laughs> like if you're going to die, oh, like yes. you're going to like die from hypothermia. Oh, don't die by the hounds. So man, the foreshadowing of the hounds. <laughs> yeah. These nights are so long now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so great. Yeah. And so they go, they cross that, you know, uh, they, they find this little patch here. They thought they lost the scent. And then, um, yeah, this they, is a big moment for Theon, though. Big, big moment. He stood. Like, I agree with you because this whole entire time, he's been a beaten dog. He's been literally treated like a pet. Like you know. And why this is? <clears throat> why this moment? Like, do you think Theon is starting at this point to develop feelings for Sansa, or do you think he's just sick of being? He almost wants to stand up for his own pride. Because he's been literally turned into a dog. Get in your kennel, Reek. You smell like shit. <laughs> yeah. I think I think more than anything, it's guilt. Because of what he like I think because everything I, I I honestly truly believe that if Sansa had never gotten taken to Winterfell and married Ramsay, like Theon would still be Reek. It'd still be like Ramsay's pet. But the thing is like when he saw Sansa I think all the emotions flooding back of what he did to their family, how he betrayed Rob, how you know he made everyone think that he killed Brandon Rickon, and how he like butchered those farmer boys, like took the head off Sir Roderick Cassell. Like, I think all of that just kind of that that shame and that guilt like flooded him, and he decided I need to do something to like my part to make up for that, even though I never can fully atone for it. I need to I need to do the best that I can. But it's like here's the other thing. It it's almost shows. It's weird. It's like the farther he gets away from Ramsay is Ramsay losing control over him. It's like that imagery, right? He sees Ramsay's face, shaves Ramsay's neck. He has full control <laughs> right in front of him. If Theon, you know, starts getting glimpses of the past, kind of starts, you know, getting a little bit of distance between him and Ramsay, almost like a college guy, like that's been homeschooled or something that's been sheltered all their life and then goes out and breaks loose in the middle of college and goes nuts, right? Like it's like the farther away he gets from Reek, like <laughs> farther away he gets from Ramsay, yeah. Reek turns more into Theon and Ramsay loses control. I mean, think about it though. If we're going to correlate that to real life, if any of you guys have been in an abusive relationship, it's hard to leave that abusive relationship. And like, you know, the longer and farther you get out of there, like out of, you know, you stay out of contact, you don't, you know, answer any calls, any texts, and you just completely like, you know, get as far away from that situation as you can, you know, the faster you can, like the better you are, are able to getting over it, you know, but if you're constantly like, you know, if you're feeling down or lonely and you know, you want someone to talk to and that's the person that's been there, you get into that complacency whole deal. Like, you're, you're you're continuing the toxicity and you know you're not you're not moving on you're, you're staying exactly where you were in that and so i think that's exactly what happened to theon and once he got out of there he becomes more of himself again and you brought up a really good point because that's something i never even thought of like someone with a completely forced relationship like think of the people that you know say they've been dating since high school and they've just been together because they've been together for so many years i was definitely in one for a long time yeah. i just like crazy people right it's it's almost like you become used to the lifestyle mm -hmm. so you don't know what to do anymore and finally sansa is breaking him loose of this like remember yeah. she's like you did this to brandon recon like this is what you did yeah. and it almost like makes him snap out and as it he's did. getting you know more and more attached to sansa like he's remembering like he's almost recognizing what 
type of a monster he's become at this point. I agree. So, yeah, I mean, now after that kind of happens there, uh, uh, we make it to where, you know, they, they corner them, like the Ramsey's men and the hounds corner them in that little brush pile. Uh, you know, this is, you know, this is some sadistic shit. Like all the Boltons <laughs> kind of have some messed up stuff. Cause what did the guy end up saying? Cause like Theon kept trying to tell you, Oh no, he like, she, like she died trying to cross the river. And like the hounds like came around the corner and like they found her and he, the guy on the horse looks down and he's like, I can't wait to see what parts of you Ramsey takes off this time. Ew, Dude, sick. that was so <laughs> disgusting. And then what ends up happening? Uh, you know, our girl Brienne. She comes out of, you know, the clear blue sky running with Podrick. And Podrick's such a good kid. And that's funny because, like, you know, we didn't really talk much about this just because uh, it was one of those subtle differences that, you know, Podrick is super young in the books and he has a sty on his eye in the books. And they, like, he wasn't, he wasn't assigned to Brienne by Jamie. Like, like Brienne found Pod at one of the other, um, like, small villages while she was looking to find Sansa and looking for Sir Dantos, the guy who helped Sansa escape. So in the books, like she ends up stumbling upon Pod, like he like was like kind of like stalking her a little bit, but not like really. Like he was trying to like, get to like you know know her, and she saw him a couple times, and finally she cornered him. And was like yo, what what's going on? And so that's kind of how he they comes into the service. But you know at this point, he, she had been training Pod for a little bit on sword, like on night and day. So he was able to kind of hold his own in this little battle. Kicks ass, man! Yeah, it was like bad. Anakin Skywalker. Like, his little, his little yeah. push steps, like he did okay. Uh, but Brienne, you know, she you know, obviously, you know what? She's a phenomenal swordswoman. Like she was fantastic. She she uh, uh, went in. She took out like all of them except uh, one. And, you know, Pod killed one, and then the other guy. Like so I think uh, Brienne took out three on her own, and then the one guy was about to strike down Pod and Theon. Uh, actually, you know, finally get some semblance of Theon back to his old self, you know, ended up stabbing. It was kind of like that, that yeah. moment. Like, it was like Attack of the Clones. Like, people back, you know, my boy, Attack of the Clones. Oh, we're Star Wars now. I love Attack of the Clones. <laughs> it's like at the end when Anakin, like, fought Count du- Dooku for the first time. Like, yeah, he got his ass kicked. But still, like, he held his own for a minute. And you're starting to be like, wow, like, this guy's coming along. Like, that's yeah. kind of what you thought of Podrick. And... Rem- it also goes to show, right, as this moment starts to happen, Theon looks over at Sansa when they're starting to get caught, and he says, John is Lord Commander of Castle Black. He will help you. Like, it goes to show John's reputation is preceding him at this point. Like, it's yeah. starting to carry a name for John. John is no longer that guy in the back of the Night's Watch. That's yeah, just... he's no longer the bastard of Winterfell. Like, he, yeah. he's made a name for himself. Exactly. This, this is, is when really you cool. start to see him develop, you know? Yeah, well, what actually, like, you know, what's really cool to me, I, mean, I think everyone, when he defended the wall from 100,000 wildlings with 100 men, I think that's when we realize, okay, John, you know, John's that guy, right? But, um, like, we won't get too much into it, but remember, like, you know, the way the people in the North talk about him, right? We're not going to say the quote yet because that's going on, but, you know, it, even Ramsey has heard about Jon Snow and, like, you know, his abilities. Yeah. So, like, we won't, we won't get into exactly what's said there because that's one of my favorite, like, back and forth ever in the entire series was Ramsey and John. Um, Here's but, a question yeah. though, right? Yeah. And I actually wrote this down because I was so interested in thinking if the show focused more on Brienne and Podrick for a moment, do you think you would have gotten to see more of those trials and kind of see Podrick become more of a warrior? Yeah. Cause like I think, think so. it kind of falls off on Podrick at one point. Like he kind of is, he's becoming like the right hand man of Brienne mm-hmm. and Brienne is kicking ass at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I think it even goes to show 
like it's kind of cool because it even plays in today you know how women have equal rights and that sort of thing because one of the guys that they literally kill he goes he goes wow you know can't a bloody woman like he's a bloody woman (laughs) it's a bloody woman like i can't believe this and it's you're really starting to see you know that kind of obi-wan anakin skywalker relationship with those two yeah i think we do kind of get robbed of um podrick's progression because like even at at no point in the series has he ever like shown like adept skills arms even then it wasn't good like it was enough to like 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 ward off something until someone else intervenes so i, I don't want to get this like twisted like you know pod was becoming some great warrior uh who knows in the books maybe it, it turns out that way but the way it's portrayed in the show is like he's just he's he's learning now like he's like you yeah. know he's not useless he's not completely useless like he was like in the beginning when like they were getting in confrontations yeah. with people along the country right and you brought that good point up because i do want to say how close it is to attack of the clones because remember, he was holding his, holding his own against the second Bolton warrior. Like, he was holding his own. Like, he was fighting him off. But then he gets knocked down, and then Theon uh, stabs that guy in the back and saves his ass. Yeah. It was almost like, remember when Anakin goes and takes on Dooku alone and then gets his arm cut off? Yeah. And then Obi-Wan's like, well, shit. Now <laughs> I got to do this myself. Like, that's literally what it was. So you're starting to see him really progress from being, you know, a little squire that lost his virginity early <laughs> at this point. He was you know? he, he was a prodigy, man. He, he had he had the, the women in the brothel uh, doing it for free. They didn't want to take any money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> dirty. Now, here's a question, though. Do you think Theon is really developing feelings for Sansa? No, not at all. I don't think so. I think it was just, I think it's, like I said, I think everything's all about, like, the guilt he feels for what he did to their family. Because it's hard to get aroused if you're missing something. (laughs) No, I don't, (laughs) I don't think, like, I don't think Dion had any strong desires, honestly, through the rest of the show. Like, like, I don't think he had any sort of, like, attraction. I think it was straight up, like, his, rest of his arc was, I want to do the best I can to atone for the mistakes I made and what I've, like. So why her then, right? Like, why not? Who's who's this going to be? Well, think about when Yara what about Yara? Remember like, when Yara tried to rescue him? Why yeah. wasn't? Why didn't he do the same for Yara? Do you he think did. it's because he was so close to <laughs> to Ramsey? No, he did. Do you remember? Like, well, then not yet. It hasn't happened yet. But he does. Like when? No, I mean <laughs> before when but, she tries to go him way back. Let's go oh. way back. Oh, you're talking. Okay. This like, is like turned the, into the, the lovely, a lovely evening. Yeah, the lovely evening. Think about that, right? Yeah. No, I mean straight up, he never had a strong relationship with his sister. He didn't live with his sister. Like, like he was taken at the like the age of a young boy. Uh, to like you know become a ward for the Starks, he lived his entire childhood with Sansa, and like and the you know Rob and and Jon Snow and like the, all the Stark family, so like he doesn't like he just like kind of started having another relationship with his sister when he got back to um, Pike, which is uh, you know uh, where the Ironborn ruled in the Iron Islands. Even then, it was all like a rivalry between the two of them when she got back. It wasn't like it was great relationship it was like no like you know i i'm the uh, you know i'm lord i'm balon Greyjoy's son and she's like not been here since you know i can command ships better than you men follow me they don't follow you i got 30 ships to take over more kaelin you get one ship to raid a fishing village like there was never a great relationship between them you actually bring up a really good point because then something he does later on that means it really meant even more mm-hmm. right um 
Yeah, I can I can completely get on board with that. You can also get on board with that that he jumped back into his little cage, his little kennel, because Big Daddy came in with the leash. Oh yeah, and said <laughs> this has turned into a lovely evening. <laughs> Big yeah. Daddy came in with the leash. Big Yo, Daddy, that's, that's Ramsey. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let, let's let's jump back in and talk about what happens after that. So remember be, before Ram, uh, uh, Brienne pledged her sword to Sansa and Sansa refused her. This time she pledges the sword again and Sansa's like, yeah, no, obviously this is a no-brainer. <laughs> like, yeah, like, absolutely, you know, you may be um, my, my protector. So that was pretty cool there. Um, another another one too is this kind of jumps down to King's Landing. Uh, Jamie kind of comes back into the harbor and uh, because he, his, he was going into Dorne to get Marcella, bring her back, and he had to have that, like, talk with Prince Duran, like, the whole thing was assembled where Tristane would go with them, the marriage must stand, and Tristane's gonna take Oberyn's place on the small council, and so, uh, they never had any intention of letting that happen, the Sand, the sand Snakes didn't, yeah. so they, they murdered her, so he, he brings back Marcella's body, and, like, this is what I want to talk about here with that prophecy, because this is where it kind of throws it out, not throw it out, but at least, like, it for sure differs from the book to the TV series without a shadow of a doubt. Now, without a shadow of a doubt, because because um, when she when Jamie was talking to her about this, uh, Cersei said that she knew it would happen. Uh, he, he said the the witch in the woods promised me three children and promised me they would die. So it's not the boys as it's mentioned in the books. Like she, this is the third child, uh, Marcella being a girl. So that that ends up that kind of ends that debate if like, if it was Roberts. Uh, so the the baby that died very very young that she had with Robert um, Baratheon the actual one there so yeah and just real quick jumping back to Sansa real quick Ooh. just a quick question right okay do you think this is the you almost see like she's shocked because this is like the first fight she's ever really seen like think about that for a minute like is she becoming more and more mature like used to the violence or do you think she's seen that because she's become used to it with Ramsay or because it, it's almost like you see her get frightened at this point. Like, I can't believe what I'm seeing because you got Podrick and Brienne literally m- killing people in front of him. Brienne stabbing people. I think she was just terrified that she was going to get taken back. That's what I think. Because, like, she, I mean, she's been getting abused since Joffrey. Like, he had her smacked around by the hound. You That's know? a good like, point. You know, so she's been, she's been getting through some stuff for years now. You know what I mean? So I think it was just more the fact that she was terrified. Like, listen, like, if this goes south and, like, like, they don't save me. Like I'm going back like to I'm Ramsey. Done. Like I'm yeah. yeah. Like yeah, I'm fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Watch her become a woman. Yeah, right. <laughs> so messed up. Jeez. And then no, the one thing I was going to bring up too about this whole prophecy thing, it's that if you remember, this, I, I know this was in the last season, but you know she at like you know she's like well I married like you know while I bear the king's children and she said no, but the thing is she did bear the king of children like a child he just died like yeah like, you know what I mean. So I don't understand that. That's a big plot hole, too. So I need answers for that. And this is a big point for Marcella, right? Because in the book, she's actually still alive. Yeah, right. Exactly. So in the book, what actually happens is so they they do get attacked, but it wasn't actually by the Sand Sisters. In, in, in the book, they actually have, you know, Illyria has no intention of any of that, actually, of what happens. Um, and actually... They get attacked by a guy named Gerald Darkstar, and when she gets attacked, her ear is cut off, almost like 
I forgot what artist it was. He it was it Van Gogh that cut his ear off and sent it to somebody. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it was Van Gogh. <laughs> it was like that. Like she got her ear cut off, but she actually does make it back to King's Landing, and Tristan remains in Sunspear. Um, Nymeria does go with them, um, but it's like this big battle that actually occurs during the whole situation. But she does make it out alive. The poison has nothing to do yeah, with it. Like that good. that doesn't ever even occur. So this is really where you're you're kind of taking a step back at the minute and you're really starting to see these big differences happen between the books and the show. For sure. I think it's huge. And I but then and that like hope the whole thing I was just saying there though was only really about the fact that like they contradicted themselves from season one where like you, you remember when Bran like was obviously he was pushed from the window by Jamie and like Catelyn was in there and Cersei walks in and tries to offer Catelyn some form of like fake comfort like oh well you know uh, Robert and I lost our son so like the thing is like you obviously had Robert's child but the witch said that you would never bear children for the king meaning like that, that's because like, the rest of them were born of incest with her brother Jamie but the thing is like she did bear a child for the king so it's like I don't understand you know how they kind of just backtracked on their own stuff like they, yeah <laughs> it's do you think they were talking about yeah, I mean, do you think they were talking about just as far as, like, an heir goes, like a son? Or do you think they were talking about, I mean, because you can make the argument she like said, they were just like, talking about an heir for a king. The actual words that the witch in the woods said is that you will bear the king no children. Yeah. And, like, she did, though. <laughs> yes, it died young, like, you know, but it said you would you would not do it. So it's like it it just, it was contradictory of itself. It, again, it's something small, but it's something that, like, those are the kind of things I pay attention to, those little tiny details. But, um... Yeah, you know, so from at that point in time, uh, you know, this this is where we the High Sparrow man, like he snuck <laughs> his way to some real serious power. Like he he, did, he really yeah. like the the king. Like realistically, as we get in more into this like this episode, it's funny. Like you know, we're already like an hour in. We're not even through like the first episode yet. Like this is crazy because the High Sparrow now clearly has more power than the king, than Cersei, than all of like the the small council. Like. He is the new power in King's Landing. He is. And and think of it this way, too, though. Like, about what Cersei's been through. Think. Like, she's had to endure. Like, everyone hates on Cersei, which I'm not a Cersei fan either. You know, I've always been the knee. Here's the deal, though, is she's always cared about her family the most. Who has she had to see die over and over? It's it's so true. Like she's seen literally all four of her kids die. Like right? sitting there just watching. Like, like <laughs> literally, she was there as the ship pulled up as Marcella's dead. Yeah. Like think about that. So the only one she watched die was Joffrey, right? Well, maybe Robert's son. We don't really know exactly the details of that. Right. Okay. But Joffrey. But then like yeah, Marcella like she dies on the ship and brings it back, and then Joffrey, uh, not Joffrey. I'm sorry, Tommen just falls Let's, out of the window. Yeah. But yeah. That. I, A spoiler, I kinda, alert. spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler my, alert. My apologies, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's just like she's had all of her children and like that's like was stated over and over again one thing that you gain from Cersei from everyone's perspective is that she loves her children more than anything in the world and she's literally had to live through all of them dying yeah and it, it I mean just think about what she just went through in season 5 like you really with the walk of too on yeah and you're yeah. like this is the moment where you're almost starting to feel bad for Cersei in season 5 and now you're like wow like in a way you're almost like deep down like good like this is what she completely deserves right yeah but i don't think any parent deserves that Mm -hmm. that's 
whole nother level. But going back to the High Sparrow, like you were saying, he really does. He's a, almost like a Peter Baelish, like a snake, like that third person in the group project that gets an A and keeps wind up becoming the leader that presents the project. Dude, like, he, I, like Cersei gave him like militant powers, like thinking that it was gonna like work out for her. Dude, he he's the mastermind genius behind everything. He he organizes it. He gets everyone's belief. Like, you know, like what do you do? Like, he, almost like, a, like almost like a Hitler type deal. He had them all believing that this was the truth. Like, what Hitler? You know, Hitler's biggest thing was, you know, believing that there there was a master superior race and like everyone else was inferior and they need to be like yeah, eradicated exactly you know right. and, and they all like everyone's like right. yeah like, yeah dude like, like the majority it, it's crazy the majority of people in germany were like yeah hitler's right like like the exactly. majority, yeah. majority right. were like were following him and even the whole world could see it was wrong didn't matter like, like exactly that's kind right. of like the same thing with the sparrow he's got all these like these all he calls them sparrows he's the highest sparrow. he's got all these other little sparrows and like they're yeah. just carrying out his orders and they just think he's 100 percent right which that's a great point you bring up too because i think people forgot you know look at the movie valkyrie there's yeah. a lot of germans that hated hitler hitler too yeah um i mean i got friends in germany by the way great job with the coronavirus guys because you guys are doing <laughs> awesome over here we are uh struggling a little bit Ooh, the struggle bus is real the wheels on the struggle go round and round <laughs> well, we'll <hope laughs> yeah. it's going round and round soon exactly some uh yeah. But remember, like, the High Sparrow, he's gotten so, I want to say, like, pompous, like, by other people doing the work for him. And which yeah, is his funny. His order's being carried out. He's basically the king. <laughs> he literally says to Cersei at this point, think about it. Cersei, that's been the top of the top of the Lannister power at this moment. You have started down a path, but you have many miles to go. Yeah. And it goes to show, in the book, uh, remember, He actually said it to Marjorie. Or yeah, Marjorie, okay. Marjorie, yeah. But in the book, even remember though, like, okay, here's a big difference then. In the book, remember in season five, like I was telling you, in the book, Cersei comes up to him to discuss her atonement. Right. And he said, I'll be with you when I finish my prayers. Like, he didn't give a shit about Cersei. Yeah. He didn't care at all. Like, I, I think in, in the back of his mind at this point, he knows what he's working towards which is that alliance with the crown. And that's what they they were working for two towers here. And he was trying to make sure Cersei and Marjorie and all the people in power were basically cut out of it at this point. Yeah, he, he had the full... Because like, well, here's another thing, too. In the books, like we were mentioning before, like this whole Cersei atonement thing was not because like of her like, alleged relationship with her um, brother Jamie. It was because like of Ned Stark's death. Like, right. like it's, it's yeah. just like so this entire whole thing like and this is why it's so much different from the books in the show is because the whole preface behind this like the whole reason these things are going on it's they want they want restitution for ned stark's murder where in the series it, it, it basically ned stark doesn't matter anymore really, yeah really like no really, really, like, he's, like, no, like which is the, the stark it's crazy like <laughs> which let's think about that like that's really sad dude like, like it's very frustrating there's only one person that really cares about ned and rob at this point and that's our girl that's blind Aria. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Aria, like wants all that like yeah but you know obviously you know john talks about it a little bit but yeah like, <laughs> you know what crazy. they say about revenge not today not <laughs> yeah. but yeah so you know we get you see like the you know talk the uh, high spirit talking to marjorie about you know you started down the path to atonement but you got many miles to go so he's had he's starting to like really um throw his weight not i want to say throw his weight around but like everyone knows like listen if we want to accomplish stuff we have to like kind of appease this guy and so like later on they actually bring in other like you know other people like try to 
come together to stop this high sphere. Like, you know, like the king, like the uh, small council, like there's that whole deal. So, um, but yeah, you know, after that kind of goes down, he has an interaction with Marjorie. We're taken to Dorne, where uh, Prince Duran learns that Marcella died. Like, like it was interesting because Ilaria and, and Prince Duran, they were having like this nice, like casual conversation talking about like how, oh, like I would have been a terrible adventurer and Oberon would have been a terrible ruler. You know, we got stuck with the stations where we both, you know, made the most out of what we had and then he gets that little tiny message saying that Marcella died and Ilaria just just switches the flips the switch just grabs the knife and just throws it right into um Prince Duran's heart <laughs> like and yeah. kills him there and one thing I want to mention too about this is like the youngest daughter Tyann she killed that awesome bodyguard with that cool axe oh, which, that which is kind great. of upsetting because cool, like yeah. I was expecting like with the way he was like talking to Jamie's like when you were hold this would have been a good fight I was expecting to see him like going down in a blaze of glory the fact that he got stabbed in the back kind of sucked I think it was just you know in a fight there are no rules <laughs> I mean yeah. they knew what they were doing the Sand Sisters are basically more assassins anyways big time assassins versus warriors uh, think about like, what happened to Tristane later on yeah like, like, which I we'll get into in a minute but I do love Illyria Sand's quote and this really goes to show what she thought of him mm-hmm. and that she really always thought he was a really weak mm-hmm. like a really weak leader and she never been a leader because she says Oberon was born to be an adventurer I was born to be a ruler and it goes to show she took it upon herself to get vengeance because she knew he would never do anything because she had completely lost respect for him way before. I think the only reason she was even loyal to the Martell house was because of Oberyn. Oh, for sure. Like, Killed her! Yeah. Raped her! <laughs> Chase is going to knock everything off this table. Oh, exactly <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, but no, it's... Uh, what, one thing I did want to mention, too, like one of the biggest quotes that she said, and I, that's what re- what resonated with me during this whole interaction, was she said, weak men will never rule Dorne again. Yeah. So, like, she straight up was, like, basically telling this guy, like, you know, because he, he says Tristane, and then she kind of, like, smirks and laughs it off because she knows, like, she's already got plans to, like, for his assassination, too. She even says... You did nothing for Elia Martell, who was raped and murdered. Your brother Oberyn was butchered, and you did nothing. You will never rule Dorne again. And that's the moment where, you know, she stabs him. He's sitting there bleeding completely profusely from his chest, lungs, out his stomach. And he's crawling, almost like crawling and he doesn't beg for mercy. He's still like, fuck you at this point. <laughs> like, excuse my language, but F you. Um, looks back at her, and he, she lets him fall over on his back like a malnourished dog and bleed out in front of her. And it almost makes her feel like, this is my power. Like, this is my time. Like, almost like if you had been made an A on that test, or if you got the promotion at work, and you're just like, bam. This is my moment. I am motivated. This is my business. And it's kicked off. It's a, this I'm going to kick ass on. And he's sitting there. And it, it, remember, I mean, it's completely gruesome. Um, well, this is the thing, too. Uh, with with the whole, like, stabbing thing, like, she even tells him, like, 
you like you're so blind you don't even know like the, your own people are against you like the other guys who like the only one that was with him was his like initial bodyguard there the other people who were around just watched her stab him and like were totally cool with it yeah you know the messenger he started running away and then Tyen throws that awesome throwing knife that was a great accuracy throws that at the messenger kills the messenger in the back but there was like four other people there that were that were there to kill they're like make sure that prince Rand died so that way you know what we're gonna we're gonna become a a nation to be feared again you know what it also shows though it shows how cocky illyria was and how much she was like the viper um how she took it upon herself to go in front of everybody and all his men and basically say fuck this we're gonna take this whole fucking town right now which what i wanted to know is like would she have killed him right then if he didn't get the message saying that marcella died or, no. would, or she was would she like have just waited until it came clear that he knew that marcella was gone so i'm interested in wondering here's my that. argument though i think that was a plan from the beginning because i think she wanted to show everyone her power i think so too actually i, I agree with you i think that like she wanted everyone to see like oh you know what i like i was responsible for killing marcella and i'm gonna kill you too i want everyone to see both mm-hmm. <laughs> like straight up you know here's a question though do you think from the time of <laughs> murdered her raped her killed the children do you think at that point <laughs> has the mountain said i murdered her i raped her i killed her children Bust his head open, knocked his teeth out. He dies right in front of Illyria. Do you think she made a commitment at that moment? I'm going to avenge his death. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to do it. And, you know, our brother that has been a weak little bitch this entire time, I'm going to take the family back and I'm going to go kill him myself. Well, the thing is, like, Illyria was nobody, really. Like, she, it's like she was one of Oberyn's wives. Like, she was uh-huh. still a sand. Like, she was, like, you know, had, like, no claim or title to anything. Like that's why. But you make a really good point there, because think about it. Anyone could have been who she was. She took it upon herself to do that. She gathered up all the daughters. Remember what we were talking about in season five and season four. Season four, well, really season five. At this point, though, because remember what I was saying as far as the books. Oberon had a shitload of daughters. It wasn't just with Illyria. She just took it upon herself to gather the daughters that were her and literally almost like your own immediate family if you were like about to start a civil war i'm making this decision myself and we're gonna make this happen to avenge our family yeah and the thing is like i don't know if it happened the moment that that oberon died obviously i think grief turned into um like i think i think it started with like she was heartbroken and grief stricken that oberon was gone and then he died because he was like he was so sharp until like the moment he got his face crushed that he was going to kill the mountain like he was like posing over him dancing around like taunting him and so like can he even told it was interesting he he said the famous last words today is not the day i die and right. then he did and so like, did, i think alaria yeah. was like dealing with grief and the fact that like they, this was never expected like this was never gonna happen yeah and this goes to show exactly what you're saying how much his own people hated him she says you don't know your own people. They're disgust for you. Mm-hmm. Elia Martell raped and murdered. Once again, Elia Martell again. And you did nothing. Oberon Martell butchered. And you did nothing. You're not a Dornishman and you're not our prince. Yeah. And it goes to show how they completely turned. Like, it was basically, you know, I think she, which makes you wonder, right? Like, did she stop what could have been a civil war in Dorne. I don't know. Uh, 
that's digging in deep on this, right? Because you really don't know a whole lot about that. Yeah, that's that's one thing I don't think the the TV show or really even the books have done justice is like the civilization of Dorne and everything going on there. Like, so I'm not sure because like all we hear like her her saying that of you know you you don't even know your own people's disgust for you, but we don't see that. We don't see it happening. We don't see those things. We just hear that one. That yeah, one I mean, thing, so. if you, I mean, if you listen back to the previous episodes on this podcast i went into a little bit of the history on it that i researched as far as like dorn but they were basically almost like neutral people like they had some of the unsullied there at some point but it you really don't know anything about them or what the turmoil or the torture they were going through i mean if you think about it oberon's brother could have been basically i don't think he's as bad as Ares, but he's pretty fucking bad well here's the thing too it's like uh dorn isn't that crucial to the plot line right so like you know of all things going on Dorne is like the last thing that anyone's really worried about so that's kind of maybe i think that's why we don't get a good look at it is because we were never meant to like yeah Dorne basically is, like an uncharted like, island Dorne, like <laughs> Dorne yeah. is it was basically listen we're gonna keep our peace we're a strong and powerful people like we were the only nation to fend off the dragons when they attacked um yeah with unsullied and all that so like it's like it's more the like i think that prince Dorne was just desperately clinging on to like stay out of these things and stay that like you know they maintain the image where like even though the image is that Dorn is this the reality is the infrastructure was crumbling because they like like they didn't like the way that Duran was ruling them. right so. and you you bring up a good point because I think here that that's one of the reasons Oberon left because remember how powerful he was. He basically was like Achilles. Remember, he went to the fighting pits he just went for the to, fun yeah, of for it. Fun. Like, just for fun of it. Like, <laughs> screw that. He said, um, <laughs> you know, big doesn't matter if you're lying flat on your back. That's one of my favorite quotes because he didn't care about the mountain. He was too big for Dorne at that point. And it almost, if you question this, you can break this down piece by piece because it almost goes against what she said. Because she said, your son is weak just like you and weak men will never rule Dorne again. My argument is... Dorne has always build, been filled with weak people until Oberyn and Illyria. Yeah, I think I think it was more uh, Oberyn. Like he, like, and I don't think it was filled with weak people. I think because everyone like worshipped Oberyn. Like, they loved Oberyn more than they loved Doran. It's just like the line of succession. He didn't want to be king. He wanted to do his adventures. And he, like, was, he was smart. Cel- he was celebrated, you know, throughout his people. So I wouldn't say like the Dorne are so weak. I would just say their leadership was weak, and they didn't have any love for the way like they had the country was running. But I think we yeah. spent a lot of time in Dorne. Oh, no, let's, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's, uh, let's get into a little bit about Marine. So over here in Marine, Tyrion and Lord Varys, they're, they're walking the streets of Marine, and they're trying to figure out how to bring peace, right? And one of the th- funny things that happens is Tyrion tries to give money to um, like this, this poor homeless lady, and he tries to speak the language to her and tells her, like, here's some money to get your, you and your son some food. Um, and basically the translation was, uh, I want to give you money so I can eat your child. Like, like, like I'm giving you money and so I can eat your baby. And so Lord Varys has to kind of uh, translate and tell him exactly what he's yeah. trying to say there. So I just thought that was kind of funny. Uh, something to put in there. Nothing huge to the plot line, but the thing that happens next is huge to the plot line, especially in season six, because the Sons of the Harpy, they burn Danny's whole fleet of ships in the harbor. Yeah. And uh, just real quick, though, just so our viewers know what happens to Justine, you know, yeah. he was sitting on the ship and that's when 
you know, <laughs> the sisters go, you're a real greedy bitch, you know that? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, let's, let's talk about how that whole thing went down. So Tristane's in his own little, like, like, like uh, cabin in the ship. Like, both the, like, the girls walk in. It's uh, Nymeria and it's Obara. And they walk in, and, and uh, he's like, I do not wish to hurt you. And he's like, oh, this, he's like, they, they, they were mocking him, basically. And so, like, they kept telling him, like, they said it a couple times, you know, who, who do you choose to kill you? Her or me? And so, and then, so Nymeria is the one with the, the whip rope, and Obara is the one with the spear. And so, uh, Tristane looks at Nymeria, and he goes, you. <laughs> and then he grabs his sword out, and as he starts advancing towards Nymeria, Obara puts her spear through the back of his head. Super treacherous, like, come on, like, get this guy a fighting thing, like, you guys walked in here, and then that's when, you know, that quote, like, you're a greedy bitch, you know that? Yeah. But, uh, I thought that was kind of, how it was kind of dirty how they did Tristane, like, really, like, you should, we should have had him go down in a blaze of glory, like, fighting both of them, or at least trying to, but he, he, like, walked up to, like, like, you know, okay, listen, let's do it, you want to, you want to kill me, or you're gonna, you're, I'm gonna make yeah, you work for it, fighting. and then she throws the spear through the back, it pushes the spear through the back of his head, so. <laughs> Here's what was funny, though, remember he was painting the eye on there? So just yeah. so everyone knows, uh, I actually the reason, you know, King's Landing and all the people in Westeros and Essos they believe in the eye so much when someone dies and they put the painted eye on there, is because they believe when someone dies they want to be always watching of their surroundings, almost like they're paranoid at that point. And I had to look that up because I wasn't sure, and that's very interesting to think because if you think of you know, someone always going after the throne or like the Lannisters that very, because the Lannisters really are the big prominent house that always follows that as far as the painted eyes. Like if you think almost like, you know, someone's always trying to take us over at this but point. Here's the thing. It's like with the eye painted, like even the spare, like I think I actually have it written down here when we get to it in a little bit when we get back to Marcella down in the in the tomb there. Not the tomb, like the uh, sept. Literally, the Sparrow says what the eyes are for. He said, we, we paint the eyes and put the eyes on to remind us that they're closing their eyes in this world and open their eyes in the next. Opening their eyes in the next, yeah. yeah so it's more like, um, it's like almost very similar to in Troy when they put the coins on the eyes like for like passage to the boatman to take him across the river Styx, like where their, where their souls would be. So it's like, you know, they, they believe that without the, the stones, they wouldn't be able to see in the next world. So, right, Yeah. yeah. So, I mean... Very interesting, because, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen, yeah, I mean, it's very prominent as far as the Lannisters go, mm -hmm. but think about when, I mean, I guess Drogon had him. Also, Drogo, I mean. Uh, not, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about John Aaron. John Aaron. Yeah, John Aaron. John Aaron. Yeah, John Aaron. Yeah, so, the, like, that was big for that in the very beginning. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so... But you raise a good point. That was so. Back to Tyrion and Varys. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, jump back to there a little bit. Just really, the, the the big thing that happens here is like the Sons of the Harpy burn her whole fleet. And at this point, you guys like Danny's still in um, in Vast Dothrak. Like, or like he's she's with the the Dothraki people, and she's she's not in a position of power at this point. She's literally like their slave. But um, yeah, so in Marine, they they. Uh, they burn the whole ships in the harbor, and then it kind of cuts us over to uh, Dario Naharis and Jorah looking for Danny, and they find her ring in that like valley area, and they realize, look, the whole horde took her. Because like, he's like, is it an army? He's like, no, it's a horde, which is, which is like the name for uh, a large gathering of Dothraki. 
uh, it was a horde, and so they 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 got like Darian Harris asked like where to take her, and he said Vast Dothrak, which is um, we actually see Vast Dothrak in the beginning, like in, in season one, where uh, like the two horses are above it, and like they're kind of fighting at each other, the statues of them. Um, you know, is it? And here's brings up a good point too, which real quick by the way, when you know Tristane dies, it's a really brutal scene. He gets the whole <laughs> sword stabbed through his back of his head. Yeah, it literally collapses through the nose of his face, and mm-hmm. it's bleeding out his orifices. Right. Mm. Uh, but going into Jorah and Dario, this is the moment where you start to see almost like that conflict of like, I love you, but you just want to have sex kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to my point in all the other previous episodes is sex power at this point. Like, cause like Dario, remember he's almost like that guy at the club that, you know, you meet that one guy and you're just like, man, you know, you meet that dude after four hours and next thing you know, you're having shots, ladies. And then you're like, how did I wind up in this bedroom again? I have no idea. And it's your ex. <laughs> like, it's just, or like some guy, you find some hot girl at, at Cowboys. Next thing you know, you're making out with her. And then you're like, how did I wind up in the same bedroom again? It's like Dario kept being called back to Danny over and over and over. And then Jorah kept being called back to Danny, but he was always in the friend zone. So you start to see this conflict break down between them. The thing is, like, Danny or Jorah wasn't being called back by Danny. Jorah was like, I'm getting back to you one way or the other. <laughs> like she banished him twice. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. she straight up banished him two times. He's like, I'll go back and fight in the pits, like, to gain your favor. But now to uh, to kind of touch on what we're, we're talking about here is that it wasn't just for sex. Like, Darina Harris loved Danny. And, like, we, we yeah. learned that, like, later at the end of this, right. this uh, season. Um, they both loved her. That's a conflict is that they both loved her. And, um, and the catch is like, do you think Danny ever, besides what happens in season seven and eight, do you think she ever loved any of them? No. And I know I, I, I have a good, I'm glad you brought it up cause we're going to probably have a debate about it in a couple episodes from now when, you know, I would say the, the fourth one, the fourth yeah. episode of this, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but I don't believe she loved anybody. I think she loved she loved Cal Drogo, and I believe she loved Jon Snow. I think those are the two people that she loved. Yeah, I think I think at this point she never. I don't think she ever got over Cal Drogo, which goes back to my original point. If you go to, you know, the first episode of this Game of Thrones arc that we talked about, like is sex powerful? Because remember, he she really lets Cal Drogo have her way, have his way at at that point and she almost felt like violated the first time and then she started to like it more and more and more and it's like she came obsessed with the whole idea of maybe if i win this guy over and i start to love him i love the idea of power i almost think our queen here she didn't love either one of them she loved the idea of like being noticed as this powerful leader and let's see what you can do for me so that I'm recognized as the respect I deserve. Yeah, I think, because uh, think about it. And in the book, this this is really depicted well in the book. Uh, her handmaiden from back before, obviously before she was killed, like uh, in, in Karth, uh, her handmaiden, Eerie, uh, when she was sailing to um, Karth, uh, like she had to pleasure like she didn't have to she decided to pleasure danny in her sleep you remember that like 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 her handmaiden did it and she's like hey you don't have to do yeah. that like things so it's like 
I think it was more along the lines of like a like I have a desire that needs to be fulfilled here. Like it was more like it, it was more transactional than anything. It was I infatuation think it was, I think is what it was. Just, I'm talking about for Dan on Danny's side of things. I don't think it was infatuation. I think it was like like this needs to be done and like listen. Like Darren Harris talked a big game, like did a lot, of, like you know, kind of impressed her a little bit. So you know what, you know what, you you earn the right to this queen. Like, like you know, you, like but the thing is, is like no, I don't believe there's any sort of love um, romantically for either of Jorah or um, or Dario Harris. And then, but so I got to bring up this point because Dario Harris actually says a quote at one point, and he says, "I want to see the world." when she's done conquering it he realizes danny is a conqueror she foreshadowing <laughs> because you start to see the liter- leadership quality sway versus conquering dario was you can almost make an argument he was a conqueror himself so as far as infatuation goes though he saw themselves as this big ass power couple that everyone would perceive them as to almost like he had basically a trophy wife. So can you even make the argument Dario was in love with her either? No, I know Dario was in love with her because that was the whole reason he killed his people. Like he's like, You have my heart and you have my sword forever. Like, I can agree yeah, with that. Like hundred yeah. percent. Dario one hundred percent loved her. Like I don't agree with any of that. But the last part that you just said about like like him and wanting any sort of like visual, like I think that that um, like people thinking, like, oh, Except that's a great tub. But, the uh, tub. Move in the club but, and you uh, shake my stuff. So let, let's let's <laughs> yeah. get to Danny at this point. We are talking about her. You know, Danny's walking like a slave in in in, in Calamoros Calisar. Uh, like one of the his brother blood riders whips her. Like is she's like she's nothing. Like this is the mother of dragons. Like she like is the queen of marine. She's taken over. Uh, she's taken over Yunkai, Asapor, Marine. She's got three dragons. She's got an army of Unsullied. She's got the army of the Second Sons. And she's being walked, because keep in mind, being walked by uh, like the Kalasar the is a huge sign of disrespect. Remember back when Viserys was alive in season one? They made him right. walk behind the horde. Exactly. Like, super disrespectful. And they're whipping, yeah. they're whipping her and talking mm-hmm. shit about like, you know what they would do to her. Yeah. So like imagine like being Danny, like 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 how big of a fall from grace that was to like on the queen to like they're treating me like a piece of dirt. Like, you know, literally. Like, like it'd be like taking your president and whipping him, or if you have a king or a queen and whipping them in front of the crowd and making them walk on a leash like a literally a it's dog. Crazy. We keep talking about dogs here. Yeah, and remember they thought she was a witch. Um, they even said, well, it yeah, that was when they get to Vastothrak and they put her in front of Kalmaro. But yeah, but yeah. remember you had the other two in the back that were talking about <laughs> fucking her the entire yeah, time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They were talking like that stuff. You know, they take her to Kalmaro and like, it, it, you know, it was really, <laughs> I thought this was silly. It's just something I like to throw in there. Uh, he was like, you know, what, what did he say? Uh, what's better than seeing a beautiful woman naked for the first time and then like his brother riders go on a list of like a couple other things and he gets annoyed he's like okay um it's among the five best things in life to see a beautiful woman naked for the first time but you're right and then to the next part like her wife they his wives they call her a witch and tell him to cut her head off because they're jealous yeah and it was funny because he remember him saying he was like you know if i was blind and my wives told me to cut off the, the head i know i was looking at a beautiful woman uh, you know, because of the, their jealousy. So right, yeah. And when she's at Calcoro, remember she says, "Don't touchy, 
Don't touch me. I am Daenerys Stormborn, House of Targaryen, the first of her name. None burnt. The Queen of Marine, Queen of the Andals, and the Raynar, and the first of men. The great grass and sea, breaker of chains and mother of dragons. And he goes... Yo, Kyle Morrow, yeah, dude, I have that written down too. So great, go, so great. You want to say it? Yeah, I do. I had that written down, quote for quote. He goes, you are nobody, the millionth of your name, queen of nothing, slave of Kalamoro. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. They completely disrespected yeah, her like, at this point. It was crazy. Like, she was dirt on the ground. And this guy, you know, Cal Coro that we're talking about here. Cal Moro. Cal Moro. I always call Cal Coro. <laughs> Cal Coro. Do the Coro. Do the Coro. Uh, I'm so bad with names, guys. But his dad was actually Cal Barbo. So I actually looked this up. All we know no, is. Cal, Cal Barbo was Cal Drogo's dad. Cal Drogo's dad. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because yeah. she said at one point, yeah. you know, she married Cal Drogo, yeah, who is the son, son of, of Cal, Cal Barbo. Barbo. Yeah. Cal Barbo, all we, which I was really surprised because Cal Drogo, we know so much about in the books and so much about in the TV show. You know, for those of y'all that don't know, it's our man, Aquaman, Jason Momoa, <laughs> Jason Momoa. <laughs> a beast. Um, but all we actually know is he's a great warrior. I tried to look that up. Literally nothing. Like, it, it makes you wonder, like, with all the history of Game of Thrones, like, why don't we ever know about Drogo's family or his dad? Because he was such a big because part of the first part of the book. I think the reason why is because they like they're, they're depicted, and I think George R. R. Martin wants us to view the Dothraki as nothing but savages. Like there's nothing that his like you know they have like the historic fights and battles and like you know the Great Stallion, but the, at the end of the day, they're they're savage barbarians. Like not like they yeah. don't have their own. They've got their own rules, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the one that they, ram, they remind me of—they remind me of like the Australian Aboriginals. If the Aboriginals were like violent, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. like they don't—they don't listen. To, they don't follow any society laws. They don't pay tax. They do nothing. They live off the land and they're just follow their own rules. That's exactly what the the Thraki do. Yeah, like it, yeah, I guess so. And I mean, you know, um, I was gonna say if one looked like the Miz or if you had uh, John Cena. <laughs> then you're like, yeah. These girls are like so hot in here. <laughs> yeah. So, dude, and at this point too, like, Danny tells him that she was Khaleesi to Cal Drogo, and Kalmoro apologizes, you know, and like, you know, assures her that no one's gonna touch her. You know, Danny says that she will give them a thousand horses as a uh, as a, a sign of gratitude for returning her to Marine. And Kalmoro's like, oh no, there's only one place for you. And uh, the wives like, oh, Dosh Kalin and Vast Dothrak is all Cal's widows. So basically, guys, what that what that is, it's a little it's a temple of only few, uh, former Cal's wives. So all the ones that like died, whether it was in battle, old age, whatever it was, every Cal's wife has to immediately. That's that's part of the stickler part here, and that we'll get into in a little bit. They have to immediately go to the temple, the Dosh Kalin. And that's where they live out the remainder of their days. Like, no one can take them as slaves. No one can use them for, like, sexual, you know, anything like that. Like, they're not, you know, they're, they're better than slaves. They're, they're almost like, like the wise women, almost like the oracles in a way. But, um, so the, every, every one of their the dead Kyle's wives has to go there. And this becomes important later on when, you know, things start yeah. ramping up. And guess what we go into here? Oysters, clams, and cuckles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is, well... Blind, blind as a bat, baby. Dude, and how... Coming the Batman. How fucked <laughs> up is it, too, that, like, like the waif, like, attacks blind Arya with a stick? She's laying down, like, not laying down, she's sitting down with, like, two coins in her little bowl, like, just sitting there. 
and like she's like taunts her like you know like no one sees a blind girl like and just throws a stick at her and just starts whipping her ass with a stick and she can't see anything (laughs) and here's what's cool about this though i even wrote down uh, you almost feel like she's becoming no one like because think of how how she's literally nothing at bro, this like point. Bro, that's, that's, I think that's the point. Like, bro, yeah, that, that, that was the whole nothing. thing was, like, the whole reason that this happened is because, like, she was still someone. They wanted her to turn into nothing. They wanted to humiliate her and, like, isolate her to the point where she was, like, was nothing. And that's why, you know, when... Yeah, you'll on, find the ne- meaning of no one. You'll find the yeah. meaning of no one. Yep, exactly. I think that was the, that was what was the goal to why this, you know, this whole entire thing. Because remember, remember, like... You know, Jack and Agar was would, would constantly talk about how much potential Arya had, but Arya's thing was like she was always still herself, and like that was exactly. what he was trying to get her to let go of, and that, and I think that's what he was attempting to accomplish by sending her out blind with no one to yeah, talk to, like, no no food to eat, nothing, and you're just like a homeless vermin on the ground, like literally, yeah. like a beggar. And that's another debate we'll have later on: is do you think Jack and Agar wound up actually making her become no one? Because you got to remember what drove her all this time was that damn list Mm -hmm. and what we get into later this season um but i still argue you know she is definitely finding out what it means to be below the low at this point and so yeah the wife like beats her ass like i'll come back tomorrow for you but now i want to take us back up to the wall because we're starting to close in on the end of episode one here a little bit uh, Alistair Thorne comes with like fake terms to like with like to get Jon Snow's body. He tells Davos that you know they need an answer by nightfall or it ends in blood. So basically, he goes up there and tells him, "Listen, like you know you can you can leave. Uh, we will allow you to leave Night's Watch. You can take a horse. You can take the Red Woman with you." And you know <laughs> Davos is like silly. He's like, "Oh, can I have some mutton? <laughs> like I'm not a hunter. I'm not good on the road. I'm gonna need something to eat." And like you know he's kind of just stalling. But basically, uh, he tells me, he's like, listen, we're going to need your answer by nightfall or, like, you know, if this ends in blood. And so ba- what he does is he turns around to everybody in the room and he goes, you know what? I've been dealing like, like this, my man, my whole life. And in my experience, we let them come through the door. They're going to kill us all. Yep. So, like, it was cool that, like, he knew that and everyone else was already, already knew that, too. They, they were all prepared for prepared it and they were prepared die. to die. That was yeah. awesome. And uh, now... This is where we're gonna talk about the stuff that pisses us off. So I did the yeah. research on it because I know you thought it was at one. You thought it was with Gendry where this was, but it wasn't. Uh-huh. It was with Solis in the tub. Uh-huh. I, I did my. I did a little bit of research. The tub. On it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But um, so Melisandre removes her necklace and becomes the saggy old lady, which is a huge, huge plot hole, guys. Because and like she removed her necklace in that season where she was in the tub and Solis had come to her asking her, Oh, did you have to seduce Stannis with these love potions and stuff? When they had that little interaction and she was naked in the tub. Love she- potion number <laughs> nine. Chase loves his music. Down man. to Malin Rouge. <laughs> yeah. Gypsy with the gold cow too. You gotta oh. see why I gotta take a sip. Bad news bears. Days, but, uh, yeah. So she, she had her necklace removed in that previous season. She was just as every bit as beautiful, everything as perky and youthful as ever. When her necklace Getting was naked. off, uh, yeah, when the necklace was off, big dirty, with, um, big dirty. <laughs> when it was it's off, dirty time, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Put up the, the dollar, top. boys. So Here we that, go. That was the biggest thing. Like that was an issue with me. Is like how like now all of a sudden you remove the necklace. The, is the necklace the extent of her powers? Fold or, like, and has, lick that dollar. Has <laughs> um has the 
is it more of like now that her lords abandoned her like did her power come from the necklace or like is she does she feel powerless like what what is the whole deal with that so why did she get old and saggy now where when she removed it back you know in that season whatever you know nothing changed for her and they had an interview with this actress um i can't remember what i gotta be honest i can't remember what show it was like i want to say it was like it wasn't david letterman i don't think it was conan o'brien i can't remember what show it was but she even said that was an oops like what were you thinking like thousands of people review this before it goes out i used to work in the entertainment industry there's no way you're not reviewing this episode before it airs like did you not go back and watch the other four seasons or the other five seasons sorry mistake that that'd be literally like if me and josh josh and i excuse my grammar josh and i didn't watch any other episodes that we have that's literally what that is that'd be like if i was like hey man we should probably do an episode of the witcher sometime you're like dude we did that like five episodes ago (laughs) the thing that bugs me too about this is it wasn't just like the one time like they, out of your are you out of your like, damn like, mind bending like, off well, why is the thing too like, like i say we always go back to this we haven't gotten to it yet but like the whole starbucks cup thing too you you pay people a god of good money to like these things need to be now fixed. i have a great debate on that which i'm not going to throw think, out the card now because i don't think we're there i think i think you've told me this before and i don't i don't think it's so for a lot of people don't know because we and we're going to get into a lot of things on the show, like the prophecy and that sort of thing. But if you notice by now, like a lot of the reason, you know, we have the, our great audience that we have is because there's really not another podcast like us. And that's why we're going to, we're going to stay doing what we do. A lot of people don't know. And you pro, if you're a follower of Emilio Clark on Instagram, you might. But a lot of people overlook it. Emilio Clark, before this show aired, actually posted a picture of Jason Momoa, a.k.a. Cal Drogo, bringing Starbucks to everyone that was part of the crew that day before they aired. So it starts to make you wonder, was it a ploy to have that Starbucks cup in there because you're getting money from Starbucks? Or are you just... Or you're just stupid. Because why the hell would you not see that? You review I, it thousands of times. I think it's. I think it's the letter. I think it's just stupid because they literally had to make an edit and remove thousands it. of people. They had to. They had to remove it. They removed it within a day. That or here's the question: right. Were they leaving it as an Easter egg? Or you got a ploy for Starbucks? Or That's any of these one of these do. things? The thing right? Is you're setting. You you spent thinking no one would see you it. You spent wait since 2011 and 2000. You spent eight years building an entire world of things that happen like long ago but if you're putting us in this era <laughs> start and you throw a starbucks like, starbucks cup no i believe it's an entire big accident and it, i think that's backed up by the fact that within 24 hours they removed it from the from this um the show so. i i mean and actually what's funny was i caught it <laughs> before the 24 hours and replayed it and yeah it's sitting right there yeah it's a very interesting debate which we'll have later on but I think a lot of people need to know real quick because we don't talk a lot about Melisandre on the show. We we talk about you know her relationship with Stannis, but by herself actually. Mm-hmm. So just for our audience, because we have the detail here, which sets us apart. 
Um, just a little bit of history on Melisandre. So a lot of people don't know she was originally a slave. Um, they actually referred to her as Milani. So imagine like this little girl with red hair. You know, she was actually very talented um, as far as almost like X-Men, <laughs> Jean Grey, which is funny, Sansa, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> uh, Sophie Turner, uh, like always tapped into kind of that ability and people started to notice. Um, it really freaked a lot of people out and she was actually sold to the Red Temple as a child. Um, she learned Valyrian here. And of course she always knew the common tongue, right? But from there, she actually took a travel to Dragonstone, which is really funny because we'll talk about that a little bit next season, uh, which that's a little bit ahead. But in Dragonstone is where she really learned about Azor High and the Great Other to the point she was almost obsessed with it, um, which she really became obsessed with what was called the Enemy God. Um, in the book, they call it Re Relore. Um, or the Great Other, um, which, you know, I guess we can kind of say the Night King. He doesn't exist in the books, but, like, that's really where she became obsessed with these prophecies. I think that's something that I want to touch right there. Because, like, the thing is, like, when we talk about, like, the Whites and the Others, is that an allu uh, like, is that an alluding to the Night King, the Great Other? Like, the. Right. So the I'm great wondering, other, I wonder. Yeah. So, but continue. Yeah. So I, I just want to point that out because, remember, we, we kind of talk a little bit about the differences between whites and others in the right. books and in the show it's uh white walkers right yeah. um but yeah dude so it's, it's 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 interesting i wonder if that was an allusion to you know the great other is that the night king yeah and no you're uh not to cut you off because honestly that's kind of where her history ends you really don't know a whole lot about her history at that point um you just know she became obsessed with azor ahai and she always thought she was the one that would find the prince that would promised, which actually led into her finding Stannis later on. Well, it really doesn't even have to be later on because remember, like Stannis was sent to Dragonstone to to hold and rule Dragonstone by right. Robert Baratheon, so Stannis was already there. Um, yeah, he, but he held Dragonstone, so that's how they kind of came into contact with each other and and you know that that kind of history. But and I actually looked up the necklace, right? Mm -hmm. Almost like the royal. I can't wait till July, man. We're going to dive deep on that. Like oh, the so diadem. Excited. Yeah. Yeah. For all you, trust me, we see all your reviews. <laughs> don't yeah, worry. People been, think we don't. We see your reviews, man. So what, what's the biggest thing that people are always excited about and asking us to do next? HP. They want the, they want the Harry Potter. <laughs> so, Harry Potter. And we're going to bring it to yeah, you. Yeah. And, and not to like, you know, go too much. Actually, no, let, let's, let, you know, let's what? finish this one. Let's finish this up. Like, well, I think we should do it when we kind of like end, end this, this one up. Because I want to like, you know, I want you guys to get left with something that we're going to do later on. Um, so I want I want to finish up what we're doing here with like these couple episodes, and then when we kind of you know do our little when we sign off, we'll tell them a little a bit about a couple episodes, <laughs> yeah, a right. couple episodes. But uh, um, but I actually said, you know, I was looking into it. Like speaking of Harry Potter, is this necklace like the unicorn blood that keeps you young? Is it like the diadem? Like, what is so great about this necklace? Did they pull this out of their ass? I don't yeah, recall like, ever hearing about this in the books at all. Right, and that's the thing too. It's it's just really interesting. They, they because, ran. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting yeah, you, but it rallies me up. Like, you just randomly are going to pull this out of your ass. That's a big. That's the issue too. Is that you? You made this a point for us to like finish up an episode 
uh, like you know that's the that's the closing of episode one, is that you know she like is that saggy old lady, because she removed the necklace. If that's the case, either don't have her remove the necklace seasons ago, or have her be a saggy old lady again and remove it. But I did the, the one that I wanted to bring this up because here was a fan theory. Because at that point, remember, Celise, Celise has always been kind of, so guys, Celise is Stannis' wife. She's always been kind of, like, like odd and quirky. So the thought is, and people's, like, you know, that one of the, when I was doing a little bit of research on this, too, because I wanted to know answers, people said that Celise actually saw her as the old lady. Like, only we could see uh, Melisandre as, like, the youthful, but, like, and Celise, like, she could see it, but because, like, she was so devout in trying to learn that faith, it's like it, it didn't phase her. Which, so it's interesting, but it still doesn't. I still don't believe that. Only because the reason why I wanted to debunk that theory is because she kept looking like looking up Melisandre up and down, like comparing herself to her and how beautiful Melisandre was. So I don't think that she was seeing her as the old lady there. Which recall when Melisandre looks in the mirror, and in the mirror she's almost sad. Like, you can really see her emotions reflected at this point. Yeah, for sure. Think about it. Like, she lived basically her entire life thinking Stannis was going to be Azora High. And this is what she lived her life for. She's, like, broken at this point. Not to mention, not to mention what they're about to ask her to do, which leads into what happens. What they're about to ask her to do is from a guy that can't stand her, can't. I hate to say this, and you know I hate to cuss on the show. Can't fucking stand her. Yeah. Um. So like, think about that. You're one. That's almost like office space, but on a whole another level. You're serving a boss that hates you at the moment. Like your purpose there. You're you're broken. You've lost it all. Literally lost it all. And you're fighting for someone that doesn't even want you there at that moment. Yeah, and that's that's a little bit how episode one closes, and episode two opens with because like this entire time, really all of season five, like we haven't seen much of Bran at all. So episode two opens with Bran and the th- with the Three Eyed Raven, and they're back in Winterfell, and we get to see uh, the young Starks. We get to see uh, young Ned. We get to see young Benjen, and we get to see young Lyanna. Uh, and it's kind of cool because. Bran's having a good time. He's he's very happy. Like he almost feels like a sense of peace. Being like you know, all he's doing is seeing the past, but he feels like he's happy. And then he's like, he remember because he told the Three Eyed Raven. Uh, by the way, there was an actor change there. We talked about that. It was a pain in the butt. But uh, I'm yeah. so sick of the actor uh, yeah, changes. The actor changes piss me off. Ridiculous. There's Why so can't you get the same person? When we do the summary episode, I'm gonna list every single actor change that people. Could it's be absolutely like, yeah. ridiculous. It's, 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 if it's I absurd. list another actor change for the mountain. Uh, Dude, three, they, they went through three of them like 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 for real bro for real but uh yeah so we we also see a young uh, young hodor and we re- we learned that hodor is actually a very very normal boy he was just a big boy who was the stable hand uh his name was actually willis and uh, he could talk there was no he wasn't like a simpleton at all they even like tried to get him to spar uh with ned to you know just you know he, you know get, get that little experience in there and then uh you know, the old man's like, well, he's never going to have to fight. And, you know, he's a stable hand. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. But one thing I did want to mention about that little vision is, is Liana, Because Liana is really the whole reason this whole war even started. Like, Robert's Rebellion even started. Yeah. So we got to see her as a young as a young woman. Not young woman, like a teenage girl. 
and she's riding circles around like Benjamin and Ned, just like like uh, showing off. But uh, and Liana, if you forget, she actually rides up on a white horse. Think about this, and we're not there yet. We're jumping up a little bit, a few weeks ahead of time. <laughs> Remember the white horse in season eight? What the hell was the point of that? Well, we'll we'll talk about it then. But uh, it seems like the Starks have a thing for white horses. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the reason for you and your white horse. Yeah, some t-, t swizzle going, but uh, <laughs> yeah, people forget about that one. That was before Pop Days. So really straight up, at this point, the, the three eyed ravens like, hey, like, like, let's go. He's like, no, like, I want to stay a little bit longer. And like I think Three Eyed Ravens like like getting agitated like no this isn't the point of what I'm trying to do I'm not trying to like show you back here so you can have a good dandy time and like feel happy like that there is like a a good home life like you need to understand like what we're doing here and so he grabs Brandon they come back to like the you know the real world or so to speak and he literally says to him he's like why'd you do that like like I was like you know, I was happy there he said you know everything under the water is beautiful but you stay too long and you'll drown so like that's that's a little bit uh i thought that was pretty cool is that he made that illusion straight up he's you know everything under the ocean is is beautiful but which makes you think think about later um what we're going to talk about this season it (laughs) here's a question are they in the past or is it a vision for like for where they're at with Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven. Here's a great debate. I'm playing the great debate card right now. Throwing the great debate. Playing the great debate card. Let's put this. You know what? Let's put this right now. Right, I'll, I'll, How about I'll that? You, you know what? Great debate. And this might take us a minute. And this is why we have these cards. Are Bran's visions? Is he going to the past? Is he actually there, or is it just a vision? Back it up with examples. Dude, that's so hard, right? Because we have that one interesting moment. There's a couple interesting moments. Obviously, each of them are a little bit farther ahead than we are, but because we play the great debate card, we have to kind of go into it, right? So there's two real big things that to go to your point. When Ned Stark starts climbing the Tower of Joy to Lyanna, Brand shouts out and Ned clearly hears something and turns around. But like when the three-eyed raven takes him back, Brand's like, he heard me. He's like, maybe, or maybe he just heard the wind. Right? So uh, there's no really conclusive evidence to me that it, he's there. Like, like, like I think it, I think it's one of those almost like in, <laughs> more Harry Potter references, the time turn, the time turner. <laughs> Remember the time turn takes you back. You know, obviously the time turn doesn't take you back as many years as this, but I think he's there, and like he, he it's it's more it's more visionary. I think it's more visionary than anything, but I think under desperation he's able to interact because then we think about that link with Hodor that we'll talk about later on as well. So I I, I believe it's visions, but like under like almost like how the human body reacts under extreme stress like you hear about people being able to lift cars to save children and like the rock falling on you and you can like like by yourself like it's tons and you throw it off because like you just have that surge of like adrenaline you have like that life or death thing i think under desperation like he like he makes some sort of contact but i still believe that it's a visionary more than it's like 
him actually there. Here's the problem, though. Here's my issue with it, and this is why it's a debate card. <laughs> Here's my Vegeta coming out. Your power level's only 3,000. <laughs> um, we're going to fast forward a little bit, which luckily most of our viewers have already seen the show at some point. He gets that burn on his arm, and Ned hears him. There is one point where Ned hears him. Is he... It's almost like... Like I've uh, almost like okay, so I've had nightmares at points where it's almost like you wake up in the nightmare and you're still there before you woke up. Almost like Inception, like the movie, like you're it's still there. Sleep paralysis, yeah, yeah. It's but. it, which those are for our other friends over in Dark Spirits. <laughs> <laughs> but no, here's the thing: it's um, when he he doesn't go back in time to the Night King. He is because like that's the the Ravens thing. So the three eyed Raven, what that what that really is is that he has the ability to see in every single raven's eyes that exists in the world past and present. Thing is with the Night King, it was in the present. He was able to see the Night King is now. It wasn't a vision in the past. It's something cuz like that's what remember what the three-eyed raven said. The three-eyed raven said like the past is the past. The ink is dry. You can't change anything. So meaning like that that's why it's more visionary, but in the present it's a little bit different because it's going on right now. So it's like how can I say this? Like, uh, but here's the here's the other problem, though, right? Um, which, by the way, Dark Spirits. That's a, a podcast we follow. So, uh, shout out to you guys. By the way, we don't actually believe in witchcraft. <laughs> like, you know, remember the church thing back in the day with Harry Potter. <laughs> um, but it, it still doesn't explain how he got burned. Or if you jump over to season eight, remember when he's staring at him? It, it, there is a link there. But there had to be present, a reason. Each time there's any sort of contact, it's the present time, not the past. You're asking, you asked me if I believe that he was like there or if it was more of a vision. I think it was more of a vision. But that, in terms of the past thing, that's how I say the three-eyed raven tells him like the ink is dry. Now, for like, what's happening in the present, there's more of a connection because it's what's going on right now. You can't, I think that's why I say, like you can't interact really with the past because, like, you know, like I said, out of desperation, you can maybe get... Like, you, like okay. there's no connection there like like it's it's too long like when it's like it's like th- like the farther we're away like if i'm a city away from you and i shout you're not going to hear me which well, I, if we're both present at the same time and you go into the other room and i talk you can still hear me which i do gotta agree with this you said the ink is dry the ink is still there here's what i believe it is i think it's more like a vision from the past, from the past, not that they're in the past, almost like you're saying, but as far as like nightmares, you know how you can almost feel the pain as if you're in a nightmare, but then this goes into the other problem. It still doesn't get into the, get into answering the question why he was burned. Almost like if you say you have a nightmare, do you wake up with damn scratches on your arm when you're feeling the pain because the pain's in your brain? Just like Inception with Leo and you had... You know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he was like, you still feel the pain because it's in your mind. Do you think it was in Bran's mind at that point? Or do you think this was actually happening? Because the issue with this is, if this was actually happening, then there is a writer breakdown with Benninghoff and Wise because they don't explain the connection between the Night King and Bran. Yeah, uh, well, that's that's a thing here, is that I believe because because it's in the present, there is more of a connection. Like, the Night King is almost like someone who is abstract of time and space and like in matter, right? Like he is, you know, for all intents and purposes, 
he can't be killed for the most part. Like obviously he does that the thing, like but like you know, like he's almost <laughs> indestructible. You know, he's like this the crazy super villain. So the fact that like you know, it, it's almost like the Harry Potter invisibility cloak. Like you know, like, there's people that could see like Mad Eye Moody's eye could see through the invisibility cloak. You know what I mean? Right. So because of that, it's like I think that there was like a veil, like a like a veil okay. to where like you know most people couldn't see. But the thing is like they're dead. That's the thing. It's like okay. they're dead. It's on the yeah. opposite side of that veil. Remember when Sirius Black fell through? I don't want to talk too much about it. No, yeah, get into which we'll get into. Yeah, but like so, I believe there's a veil there, and because the dead are not bound to the rules of the living, that's my point. Is that like they're not bound to the rules in like the like the physics of what this would be. Like they're already dead. They're not part of this plane, so they're not bound by the rules of you know time space matter all that which i can i can get on board with that i mean the the conclusion i come to so here's the other issue and here's the second part of this great debate and then we'll wrap this great debate card up and then the great debate card is burned and goes into the graveyard just like you Oh. for yours our magic <laughs> for mine for yours. Oh, i still got one more card and it's a trap <laughs> that's a trap yeah. <laughs> um here's the question the three-eyed raven if this is all a vision almost like a nightmare that you can feel where the brain is interacting and you're seeing these different things so three different perspectives bran the three-eyed raven and the night king one let's go into bran so let's assume this is a nightmare or a vision he is happening where he's filling these things with his brain is it because of why is it feeling why is he getting these marks on his arm for what happens later on two is the three-eyed raven actually there at this point or is this something he's just making up like he saw in the tree and three how he actually noticed ned or noticed the night king is the night king actually noticing him or is he turning into a crazy person like johnny depp in secret window or if you're turning into the shining or red dragon with anthony hopkins which a lot of people don't know. Hello, Clarice. Uh, is Bran going crazy at this point, or is no, all this happening? It's all happening. It's all happening because, like, the literally remember what the three eye because like the three eye raven was sleeping. Because like, the thing is, like, you're holding all the, the the your thoughts on this vision thing is only around the one aspect of the Night King grabbing Bran and like Bran being able to like say something and Ned turning around. Number one, like the Night King already or not the Night King, the three eye raven already kind of answered the thing where he's like. Yo, he heard me. He's like, maybe, or maybe it was just the wind. Like, the past is done. Like, the ink is dry there. Now, we're talking about the present tense with the Night King. That when he grabbed that tree, when, when the Night King grabbed him, he yanked that itself out of the vision. The, the Three Eye Raven wasn't with him in that vision. Remember, he was asleep, and, like, Bran did it on his own. He wanted to see it. He was being curious. Almost like curiosity killed the cat. So while the Three Eye Raven was asleep, Bran, like, crawled over on his arms and grabbed the tree and went into the vision on his own. And what happened, as soon as he woke up, he's like, he touched you. Like the three eyed raven, like like he's like he touched you, he knew, so it definitely happened, and it, okay. like, it's own thing. I can get on board with yeah, that. Like, so he, was he, it a warg though, or was it a vision? 
I think it was a vision. I don't think because like the warg would be the raven and like like if you're if you turn yourself into a raven and it grabbed your wing, it's not going to be a, you know he's <laughs> yeah that's not going to be. I think it was it was a vision and so so then goes into the point though which we're going to talk about in season eight. The night king has powers that are completely yes. unexplained. Exactly, which is a complete writer breakdown. But the thing is like I'm okay with I'm okay with the fact that night king has certain powers that other ones don't because like that what's, that's what makes him like the most interesting villain i don't i don't love how the thing turned around and we'll talk about how what i think should have happened yes yeah but like the thing is, is like if you're the ultimate like you are you know this is the great war between living and the dead like the ultimate you know if we think about like what what's the so if i want to correlate it to our real life right so for those of you guys out there that are spiritual i'm just bringing this up for you know, just d- debates purposes, like God, right? God and the devil, right? The devil's really just like a fallen angel, but he still has powers that no other, you know, demon spirit has. You know what I mean? Right. Very, very similarly, you know. So Agreed. Like, that That's kind of, it's almost like that's the way he's portrayed as kind of like the walking devil. Like he's got these powers <laughs> and no one else has. Like he, he changed can, the Walking Dead TV series to the Walking Devil, and you got my ass. You got yourself an attention <laughs> yeah. grabber, right? But so that's why I think like he does have unexplainable powers, and I think he's meant to have unexplainable powers. So it would literally be like if uh, uh, Zombieland and Lucifer combined. You have the walking devil. <laughs> yeah, big dirty. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's get a little malice, malice in the, the chalice. chalice. Yeah, yeah, malice in the chalice, baby. That was a good debate. Mm. Good stuff. That so good. that card is officially burned. Yep. And uh, that's for another episode. So Goku and Vegeta, man, biggest villains and heroes of all time. Throwing it down. That's slapped on the ground there. So, yeah, now let's, let's jump back into where we were. Now we get right back into it. That and wasn't planned, by the way. No, that was yeah, <laughs> like, that's, that's the whole thing about this is all this is like that was not planned no, at all. No, we yeah. just kind of threw that. Didn't out even know here. if I was going to use that. Yeah, <laughs> and like it's it's interesting because I mean, you know, just based on on timing and stuff, like you know, getting through episode two, I don't even know if I might. You know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what. Yeah, let's keep go. Guys, keep let's you get guys get posted on my cards. Ride or die, baby, but, like uh, Paul Walker style. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, it, it's interesting because at this point in time, like after that happens, like we see Mira for a quick second. She's like got an attitude outside, like. Branch is trying to talk to her and be kind and friendly, and she just like has her whole thing. And then like the the children of the forest, you know that child of the forest girl. Um, I wrote her name down in the later seasons, but uh, her no Leaf. Her name's Leaf. That's right, Leaf. Um, she tells like, hey, Bran's gonna need you. He's not gonna be here forever. And when you leave, he's going to need you, which is for sure some big foreshadowing. What ends up happening in the uh, the lair of the Three Eyed Raven, right? So, but back at the wall, anyways. Alistair Thorne tells Sir Davos, hey, your time's up, leave or fight. And so Davos turns around to the men in the room. He said, I've never been much of a fighter. Apologies for what you're about to see. Like, yeah, hey, we're ready to go, man. They awesome. were, that was an awesome line. Badass. Yeah. <laughs> and it really showed, like, like Sir Davos, like, I'm about to get justice here. Yeah. He's like, I didn't even think about justice. I mean, I'm about to die for this guy. Because, like, I mean, at the end of the day, like, not, like, most battles come down to numbers. And there was, like, what, 30 against 5? Four because uh, Ed Dalla was out trying to get the Wildling army, which you know obviously that uh, Wildlings with Ed they break through uh, Castle Black's gate and they take Thrawn into custody. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, the actress for Melisandre is Carsa Van Huten. I thought I'd throw that out there because I thought she uh, did a badass job. She did a really good job portraying like like how she was in the. Yeah. They, honestly, the majority of the casting was very very good. I gotta give it to him. Their casting director did a great great job with uh, 
with certain things. Great job on casting, visuals, uh, script. Uh, Why don't you just hand that to me and Josh? Josh and I. Josh and I. So... In the Wildlings with Ed, they break through the Castle Black Gate and they take Thorn into custody and get the rest of the Night's Watch to stand down after the giant, like, like that giant, um, uh, grabs the <laughs> that little man and smashes his body against the wall and throws him at, like, the feet of the rest of the Night's Watch. And they're like, yep, we're just gonna lay our arms down now. We're not gonna go through this whole fight again. So they take him into custody. And one of the cool things was, uh, Alistair, Alistair Thorn was, like, trying to, like, mock, still mock Jon Snow. He's like, you know, the, the, the wall is held for thousands of years without the wildlings, um, you know, without, you know, falling to the wildlings. And Tormund looks at him and he says, until you. Like, yeah, yeah you're the one, Alistair Thorne, that got us to, you know, we, we ransacked this place because of you, you know. Jon Snow protected you guys from us, and on top of that, he led us through the wall. So, like, you know, you're the one that fucked up here. So, it, it was, uh, Tormund goes to see Jon Snow, and he obviously he's saddened. But like everyone was just obviously like when you're you know you're dead you're dead. So what what did Tormund say? He said, uh, "I'll have my men get wood for fire. We have bodies to burn." So like like that was it. Like you know that they're like, hey, you know what? It's really sad that this happened. You know we're gonna get justice. Yeah, obviously we we put Thorn and Ollie and uh, Otto Yarwick in the like you know in the dungeons or the, whatever they had in Castle Black to hold prisoners and. Um, I mean, this is really when you see Tormund and John, you know. They had a good relationship. Yeah, their relationship really showed here because Tormund, I mean, think about it. He served Mance Raider for so long. Uh, I mean, it really shows what John was doing this whole time really gained the entire respect of the wildlings, um, which then goes to think, right? <laughs> you know unfortunately he lost Ingrid but with the sacrifice of one you gain the respect of another so yeah I mean, honestly, quote unquote Chase <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that was a really big moment there we got to see like, the level of respect that these people had and then uh, we, we kind of get taken back to King's Landing and we have this kind of drunk idiot talking about remember like when Cersei did her walk of atonement he took his entire clothes off and flashed everything in front of her. And so he goes on this. Touch daddy's <laughs> dick. So he, uh, yeah. he went on this whole. Um, Play with the Peter. Oh, that's he went on this sick, nasty entire, shit. Uh, like kind of like throw it over. Embellished story about what actually happened. Right. So like when sick. we saw it actually happened, like he just kind of ran in front and he got pushed to the side. But then he's like telling his bar buddies like this big old story. And, um, and like he like basically said, oh, I, I swear, you know, I, I wouldn't lie about this, boys. She looked right at it and licked her lips, like licked like just <laughs> tongue, the teeth and lips speaking. She, he goes out to the alley to like, yeah, obviously he's drunk. Tongues. He goes out to the alley to pee, and then he's like, like the mountain in his like full blown armor was like walked up, which is funny, like that. Like he never took his armor off ever, <laughs> but. Uh, He's like taking a pee, and then all of a sudden, like he turns around and like he even pees on Sir Gregor's like shoe. He drunk and kind of like disoriented. He's like, "What the heck's going on?" Gregor takes his head and just just quickly smashes it against the wall. Just just ends that guy's life immediately. Um, so uh, and then you know after that, like Sir Gregor goes back up to Cersei, you know, into the Red Keep, and Cersei tries to attend Marcella's funeral, but Tommen has ordered the men, like his men, to prevent her from leaving the Red Keep. 
which we thought, you know, I thought we were going to have a little showdown between Gregor and like, like the, like the King's own men, not, not the high sparrow. The King Tommen is the one that ordered her to stay in the red keep. And we yeah. find out later that because, because like, you know, he didn't want her to go back into like the black dungeons. And so he wanted to make sure that she stayed there, which I want to make a big point about this because in the book, it's a little bit different. So Cersei and Tommen actually have a little bit of a clash in the book. Yeah. Like, from, like after even after Joffrey died, like like when Tywin was yeah. like, like that, like the whole thing, like he had to be taken outside. He's like a little crybaby. So I, in the book too, there's a guy named Pete who is Tommen's best friend, almost like his little squire. Um, Tommen bucks up to Cersei at one point and was like, "Listen, no, like I'm not going to take your route. That I'm not going to go your way." And Cersei decides <laughs> to have. He whipped in front of him and even worse hands Toman the whip and has him whip him to the point he's just in completely agony um and it, it really breaks Toman down in the books and that's really when in the books you feel that rift between Cersei and Toman Cersei and Toman and you know, that never happens in the show, but it almost makes you remember if you go all the way back uh, to these previous episodes we've done, going back to season two, remember how sick Joffrey was when he was beating those girls? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was almost like the same thing. So at the same time, yes, when you have started to feel pity for Cersei all the way up to this point suddenly you're taking it back in the books and you're like, okay, she's still a sick bitch at this point. Yeah. Like her whole big thing is like, she wanted to be as feared and revered as Lord Tywin. She's like, I'm going to be grander than you. Like that was her whole deal. Like she just, you know, she went around things her way, but they ended up being, you know, the wrong way. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, after that, you know, that we get taken to the sept where, uh, Jamie Lannister is with Tommen and they're talking about Marcella and you know, James like asking like, "Hey, are you mad with? Are you upset with your mother? Like, you understand? Like, like you're, you, you, children, the only things that she truly cares about in this world. Like, you need to go see her." And um, he's like, "Well, I wanted to make sure that she's like, she should be here." And he's like, "Well, I didn't want her to come because I didn't want her to be put in the dungeons again." He's like, "As long as I'm here, she's never like, she's never going to be taken. Like, they're never going to touch her again." And so that's when the High Sparrow enters at that point. Yeah, and I remember the High Sparrow says. You would spill blood in this holy place, and Jamie says, "Oh, the gods won't mind." They spill more blood than us all. There you go. Yeah, straight <laughs> uh, up. Yeah, they would spill more blood than us all, and it. This conversation that happens, I think it really supports your case, which we've been going back to since episode one. Jamie's suicidal because I feel like the emotions are really pouring out here, where Jamie. Jamie is really seeing what he's had to become at this point. And the High Sparrow almost reminds him of that. All the way to the point of the High Sparrow goes, go on, I deserve it, we all do. Do you think, it's like, do you think he's really calling Jamie's bluff? Like, do you deserve what you're about to put on me? And he says, I've fought against worse. He says, no doubt many of you will fall, but who are we? We have no names. We have no family. Every one of us is poor, powerless, and yet together we have 
we can overthrow an empire. So not only does it show, it's like bringing out the emotions of Jamie, seeing how much he can test him uh, for what he's had in the past. But the High Sparrow is showing, no matter what you do, Jamie, we're going to take over this entire King's Landing right in front of you. You can kill me in front of everybody. I'm going to have this entire faith militia underneath of your eyesight and your entire rock. I'm going to take it right from under you. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing. Is like You said your men should be closer if they mean to protect you. He's like, oh, I don't mean for them to protect me. Like, like you know, they wouldn't get here in time before your sword fell. But then, you know, like, then they would kill you. He's, in, he's like, I face worse odds. It's <laughs> almost like, like the mafia. Yeah. It's literally like if you were, which there's another conspiracy theory, which is funny. We keep talking about this, that uh, John F. Kennedy, you know, was murdered by the mafia, which the U.S. made it a, you know, an agreement with, which that's another podcast you can go look of a you know dark spirit society what or are you saying? <laughs> anyways right um my point is it goes to show the high spirit at this point has literally taken over all of king's landing under the nose of cersei and jamie and they have no power anymore well the thing is like, like jamie didn't have a lot to do with it because he was over in dorne for the majority of this whole like takeover it's just like cersei gave him militant powers and she gave him militant powers and didn't realize what that was going to mean, including what it means for her. And, and I think the High Sparrow, he really took advantage of the fact that Tommen is young and impressionable. And so he's he's like, oh, no, I can, you know, I, I've got now, if I, if I got my own powers and now I've got the king in my back pocket too, I'm really going to be unstoppable. And that's exactly what ends up happening later on, um, you know, in this very, very season. So, yeah, but, which goes into Tommen. So I'm glad you said that because... Remember, he's talking to Cersei, and he starts feeling really vulnerable at this point and bad for her atonement and just broken down. And he says, you know, I should have executed them all. And as in contrast to the books, you know, they never really have that moment. Like, he doesn't feel bad. None of that happens. In fact, Cersei, just like I said, she really takes advantage of him at that point, exerting her power. Um, But... Is Tommen becoming becoming stronger here and we're just not noticing it? Or do you think Tommen is really... He really, in the end, always submits to Cersei. Yeah, he, I think he submits to anyone of any sort of authority. Because, like, he submitted to the High Sparrow a lot. Like, like we'll talk about what ends up happening with the whole Marjorie... Excuse me, the Marjorie thing later, too, with the High Sparrow. Like, he... He just, I think he is becoming more of his own. Because remember when he denied Cersei trial by combat? He didn't even look in her direction. Like, like he was consulting with the High Sparrow. The High Sparrow is like putting all of these thoughts into his head. Like, the High Sparrow is the puppet master, and everyone else are the puppets. Like, it's it, that's exactly like how I see it. Um, you know, and like outside, I guess that Tom and see Cersei and ask. You know, he even asked her like. Like I want, I want to be strong, and like, can you help me? And you know, she says always. So, like in, in the, the TV series, it does show like you know her love for her children, and she's tr- like she wants to be the best mother that she can, and that Tommen wants to kind of be the king that she wants him to be, as opposed to because like it was just a stark, it's a stark contrast between Joffrey and Tommen. Joffrey like was too strong-willed and did everything what he wanted to do, where Tommen it's the exact opposite. He's got no will. He gets told what to do, and he just does it. 
It's right. completely different. And so it's like there was no happy medium. It was it was like, all right, I can't control this person, or okay, he can get it controlled by anybody. It's like one of those two like extremes. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what he was feeling at this point. You know, think about, you know, his wife is completely, <laughs> completely compromised at this point, and mm-hmm. you know, in prison, and. He basically is, you start to see him lose power as the king that he is at this point. And Cersei's pulling all the strings. Um, or the High Sparrow. <laughs> yeah, well played. The High Sparrow's pulling all the strings. Cersei's sitting there with no hair. Yeah, Cersei's sitting there getting yeah. atoned. Shame, shame. <laughs> shame. Anyways, but at this point, you know, then let's kind of fast forward a little bit. And, you know, Tyrion, he makes a quote here that says, Dragons do not do well in captivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, like let's let's uh, talk about a little bit more um, before that. Like not not too much, but Varys he actually has to tell Tyrion yeah. that Astapor and the Yukai Masters they have retaken both cities. So that's when we go like, okay, so now like what are we gonna do? Because like the Unsullied want to march out. Like you know, like Grey Worm's like, oh, like let's let's march out there and like kill every master and take it back and like. Like Varys is like, no, you idiot! Like we have to worry about Marine because as soon as you guys, all your forces leave, we're gonna be screwed here. Like it's right. a really situation, yep. right? So, um, that's when like Tyrion goes on a quick history of how dragons can't be in captivity and how they got smaller throughout the generations due to being chained up in pens. Like how like the very the very end, like, all the dragon like skulls and bones were the size of, like house cats. Yeah, and I actually have the quote here yeah, if you don't do mind. And this actually goes into the point of the history I was telling you about before, you know, how Aegon, Baelorond was huge and all the other, you know, Sunfire and you have all the dragons from the previous episodes we've talked about. Tyrion says, dragons do not do well in captivity. The dragons Aegon used ranged over hundreds of miles. Then when Daenerys's ancestors stated they chained them up in pens they were no longer than cats. They must be unchained unless they waste away. Yeah, unless they waste away. Yep. So that's what exactly what Tyrion does. He walks down into the pits and he starts like talking, like kind of trying to soothe them about how he wanted a dragon. Like just kind of like going on stars like <laughs> the dragons. Kind of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> trying to be like, hey guys, I'm just going to come up to your neck and uh, remove this thing. Please don't eat me. I'm a small man. I know it. <laughs> Which yeah, I got to bring this up. I wish there was a scene where like the somewhere in the series where like the dragon saved Tyrion. That'd be cool. Where it was like if Tyrion, because remember he like let them out of captivity. Yeah. Like almost like, we remember who you yeah, are. Exactly. You're our friend. We're going to save you. Like, if he I was like fighting that. against the Whites or something, it would have been amazing. I thought that would be really cool, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that that's kind of, like, what ends up happening in Marine at that point in time. Tyrion unchains Viserion and Rhaegal. But now we go back into uh, Bravos, The where, Waff. Where the Waif comes back. And <laughs> the Waif. I'm always like the Wharf, the Waff, the Waffle. <laughs> the Waffle. Here it comes. Nothing but so, a side of hash browns with eggs scrambled with cheese. Oh, so big she, dirty. She comes big back dirty. and spars with, with blind Arya again. And this time at the end, Jack Nagar appears and he tells her that, hey, if you say if a girl says her name, he will let her. a man will let her sleep under a roof. Uh, you know, and he goes, you know, if a girl will say her name, a man will feed her tonight. And he, lastly, he said, you know, if a, uh, if a girl will tell a man her name, a man will give her her eyes back. And, and she he, maintains the whole time 
that a girl has no name. Anyone know how many questions that is? I just thought I'd bring that up. That's uh, symbolism of three. Oh, yes. Think about the questions there. Think about the questions. Who are you? No one. If a girl says her name, a man will let her sleep under a roof tonight. Aria, a girl has no name. One. If a girl says her name, a man will feed her tonight. Two. A girl has no name. If a girl says her name, a man will give her eyes back. A girl has no name. Symbolism of three. Boom. With a cherry on top. How does that play into the plot at all? Did I say it played into the plot at all? <laughs> like, I just like, said like, symbolism. I, I can say three words, but like, oh, symbolism of three. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 21 yeah. divided by guess seven what? is three. Uh, guess oh. what? Aria goes to pick up a bowl, and Jack in a car says, leave it. You're not a beggar anymore. A girl is not a beggar anymore. So unless you have a symbolism of three, like Danny had three dragons, you're nothing and you're no one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that that's a that's a big uh, thing there when she kind of gets taken off like beg- beggar patrol or <laughs> whatever. It's like she she's off beggar island now. But now we go back to Roos Bolton. Um, but so- think about that real quick though. Jacken offered the most valuable weapon. Which was to give her eyesight back. She's broken. She's beaten. That's a good she's point. a beggar. Like, yeah, think about it. Like, like, she is literally becoming. He dangled the ultimate carrot back in front of her. Like, hey, like I'll let you be exactly where again if you just say your name. And she had like the presence of mind to just be like, girl, has I'm nobody. Name. Yep. Like, she's nobody. lost it all. Which is what Jack and wants. What he wanted exactly. He wanted her to become no one. He wanted to show her what it was to be no one. So now, when she trains, she will truly be no one. Right. Yep. So. Now, back in Winterfell, <laughs> Roose Bolton learns that Sansa escaped and that Ramsay's best hunters were killed. Ramsay! Ramsay tells Roose that you know Sansa would be heading for Castle Black and that they could take Castle Black with a small army and kill Jon Snow. And Roose Bolton like gets angry at this point in time. He's like, you would have me kill the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. You'd have every house in the North uniting against me. Like He's like, dude, you don't think. He's like, That's exactly what he's saying. He's like, you don't think. He's like... Uh, he basically tells him at this point in time, if you require a reputation as a mad dog, you'll be treated as a mad dog and slaughtered in the back for pig's feed. And think about the foreshadowing there. Dude, yeah, I know, right? That's crazy. But so that, that's another thing, too. That you can see that their their relationship is so strained because, like, that that's exactly it. Like, you can't do that. Like, you can't sit there and kill. Like, the Night's Watch... By trade, you these guys are to stay out of every sort of conflict. Their only job is to make sure the stuff behind the wall stays beyond the wall. Like they're the they're the watchers on the wall. They take part and know this. And you want to go there and like kill these people that have pledged their lives to like you know what I mean? So and think just, about though like how much Roos meant to Ramsay was he literally submitted to him and said, "Thank you, Father. You always mean a great deal to me." Like well. Which we'll find out later how much he really submitted. But I think Roos is literally the only person he even cared for besides Miranda in He's, like a, yeah, wanted, some sense. It's like really he wanted the like the respect from his dad. He wanted he wanted to show and prove his worth to his dad. You know, like I'm not, I'm more than just a bastard boy dad, father. I'm capable of all these things. But anyways, uh, so it was like a Han Solo Kylo Ren scene. Just so throwing that out. Their there. maester comes in and announces that Bruce's Bolt, Bruce Bolton's wife, Lady Walda, gave birth to a boy. And this is kind of what backtracking to where, you know, remember when he's like, well, you know what? If we can't get Sansa back, let's just hope that my son, you know, is like the maester saying, is a boy. And so now we learn that, oh shit, 
Now there's a void to contest with. And it's actually Roose Bolton's true-born son, even though like Ramsey Bolton has the letter, it just goes to show like he never felt secure in his position as a firstborn, as a Bolton, because like like remember what Ramsey said, like my position here is clear, Father. I'm like I'm your son until a better option comes along. Remember he said that. So what happens up here? Uh, you know the, the Lord Karstark he you know, congratulates uh, Roose Bolton, and then Ramsey gives him a hug. And uh, do you think he loses respect for his father? At that point, though, after you called him a mad dog, Mm-mm. I just I, I I don't almost I think, like he wanted to be a mad dog. Here's the thing: it's like I think that if the maester hadn't come in and told him that like the baby was born and that it was a boy, Bruce Bolton would still be alive. I don't think Ramsey would have killed him. It's a fact that like spoiler. Here's yeah, well, it's, we're at the part <laughs> yeah, right now. We're at the like, part, like, yeah. Ramsey hugs Bruce Bolton and then you know stabs him like, through the like, stomach, like literally betrays him, stabs him right there. But and the reason I say this is like. He like he wanted to make sure that there was no point in time in life where Roose Bolton could renounce his like you know the, the title of being a Bolton and give it to his trueborn son. He wanted none of that. Con- he didn't want any sort of competition to his claim to you know be the Lord of Winterfell and the Warden of the North. So right. he took exactly. out. He took out his dad. He's like, all right, well now you knew who forced my hand. You got a, you, you had a baby boy born. Well, guess what, Daddy? Daddy gotta die. <laughs> He's. He's almost like literally a Ted Bundy or a serial killer kind of guy. It shows how insane he is. Because uh, remember after this, he says, tell the men Roos poisoned was poisoned, was poisoned by, by the enemies. enemies. <laughs> like how sick was he? Like the one guy he cared for, he can, just like we were saying with the meet with Miranda, can flip the switch. Who can do that? You're killing your own family. You've killed your girlfriend. You can flip the switch in two seconds. Literally like a Ted Bundy, how they said he talked in third person. Dude. Like he was switching back and forth. And like that's that's the crazy part. Like this, these people in the room saw what happened. The maester saw him stab him. Lord Karstark saw him stab him. He's like, and how was Mister? How was how was Lord Bolton killed? And like the maester's like. <laughs> Poison. And how is Lord Bolton killed? Poisoned by his enemies. Good. <laughs> like they, every house. In the think North. about the confidence yeah. too. The like, confidence he had that, to that, overpower that, like, them. Nobody was like gonna like challenge him. Like that. Like like I went, like, you just committed murder in front of two people that saw you, and you decided to tell them, "Hey, how was he killed? Ah, poisoned by his enemies, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I thought. Get now, in your kennel. You smell <laughs> like shit. Now, <laughs> yeah. what you're gonna do for me, Maester, is you're gonna bring me Lady Walda and the baby. That's <laughs> what exactly what it is. It's bring me the baby. <laughs> and like the Maester's like there, she's resting, and he like looks at. He just gives him a look, and the Maester goes right away. Like, like, yeah, we'll get it to you right away. And so what ends up happening? Uh, yeah, they uh, Lady Walda brings uh, down like. She goes to up there, and Ramsey like, kind of holds the baby for a second, gives it. Like we kind of thought something bad was gonna happen there, but like it was crazy because like he always waits for his own timing. Like he like something could go bad, and he can make something happen in, at a certain moment, but he makes you wait for it, and that's like the creepiness. Of Remember, it. he said, "I prefer being an only child." Yeah, an only child. In a little bit, yeah. So like <laughs> they, he brings him to the kennels. And that's like like that's a that's his thing. Like him and the kennels and the dogs. Like that's Ramsey's thing, right? So. He like he like uh, she goes. Lord Bolton sent for us, and then they walk towards um, they walk towards the kennels, and they he really closes the door uh, behind him and, and locks it. And so she's like, she starts to get a little bit scared, and like Ramsey's just kind of 
pulling the, the doors out here and uh, he, he she goes where is Lord Bolton and he turns back to her looks at her and says I prefer being an, an only child well the one that they, they, yeah that part was said but the one, <laughs> I was, the one I was going for is when she like, turns around and she goes Ramsey where's Lord Bolton and he goes I am Lord Bolton. <laughs> oh, that was dude. Great. He looked. He's like I am, and then she like she gave him like like oh no, like she realized at that moment that Ramsey killed him, and she's like Ramsey, please like like let us live. I'll go back to the Riverlands. It's like, literally I'll, yeah. that Joker moment. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's really it, like truly. And so uh, yeah, you know, she like pleads him and says, "I'll take the baby back to the Riverlands." And uh, at what point do you think Ramsey was smarter than his father? Uh, man. Like, at what point? Because remember, his father was the I only one think, he ever submitted to. I think that he, re- like, I think that that when a guy like me, a guy, when um, <laughs> when he when he really went over to uh, the like when he was trying to show him Theon, I think that's when he realized, like, you know, because what he what Roose wanted to do was use Theon as a bargaining chip to take back Moat Caelan because he had to sneak into his own, like, his own lands. And so he wanted to use Theon as a bargaining chip, and now he could never get him back because Ramsay mutilated him. And Ramsay's like, well, no. What I did was smarter, and this is exactly why, and showed how well Rake was chained and how they found out Bran and Recon were alive. So I think at that part, it's like, like he he kind of showed like his mental superiority. Yeah, superiority. I think I think you're completely right because I never recall Roos ever brainwashing anyone to the point yeah. they would shave their neck and no. still, still literally, you know, declare their loyalty to that Pretty person much by not killing them. Yeah, so, exactly. But we only got a couple more points here before we finish up uh, episode two, and I think that like, once we finish up episode two, that'll kind of yep take us through for our first one here um but uh yeah so we're, we're back at uh with brienne and and sansa and theon and brienne tells sansa that she ran into Arya. so now that now sansa knows three things she knows brand's alive she knows recon's alive and she knows Arya's alive where literally Brand and recon they were your brothers theon like they, they, they literally had she went through like a, a range of emotions within a month she like thought like all of her family were dead except Jon snow and now she really learns that, like, literally they're all alive, like, like at, no, at this point in time. But, uh, yeah, so I think that was a big thing there, too. And then Theon, you know, he tells Sansa, you know, he's, he doesn't want to be forgiven because he doesn't deserve forgiveness. So he, he leaves. He's, he's, they will protect you better than I ever can. And he leaves Sansa with Brienne and Podrick. And so he, you know, I, and then he goes back to the Iron Islands. And now that we get taken back to the Iron Islands, this is, I think this is a real cool thing because now we kind of finally meet. So in the books, we hear about Euron Greyjoy yeah. a lot earlier than, than we have here. So this, in the, the series, they, they make his entrance very, very late. And so Balon Greyjoy kind of has an argument with uh, Yara, whose name is uh, Asha, actually, in the books. Um, they have an argument together about... You know, uh, Mo Kalen being taken back, and she and he goes like, "Well, how did they die?" And she said, "They died fighting, everyone to a man." And he's like, "He's like, okay, well, what is dead and may never die?" And like, she has to repeat the saying, but she goes, "Oh, but they did!" Like, and like, so she's trying to to counsel restraint and like, don't be like an idiot, Dad. Don't just like, you know, it's not there's there's 
strategy and intelligence to this, not just, you know, we're going to fight to the death and that's what it's going to be is what it's going to be. And she basically, he basically tells her, well, when you're queen, if you're queen, uh, you know, I'm not dead yet. You can, you can make for peace all you want, but while I still alive, you know, this is, you know, I, he's basically said I can make another heir too. So he disrespected her right to her face as if her opinion meant nothing to him. And he was just like, you know, it was his word is law. And it was interesting how he mentioned, like, you know, as long as I'm alive. Because then, literally, not even two minutes later, he walks out into that drawbridge that yeah. that, that uh, connects, like, the two buildings of Pike. And he just sees someone, like, standing there in a hooded cloak. And I thought that was super badass. He didn't announce it. And then the, and the guy, he goes, uh, Balan Grage, I go, step aside for your king. And he pulls his hood down. And he's like, haven't I, for, haven't I always, brother? And then you're like, oh, shit, that's Euron Greyjoy. He literally said that he's like step step aside for your king, and he pulls down his hood and he goes, "Haven't I always, brother?" And he's oh, like, yes. "It is my turn to shine." So, yeah, I, I thought this was pretty cool too. One of the biggest quotes I wrote down from this interaction is like, uh, "You're on Greyjoy." He goes, he does, he tries to do like their chant, like, "Hey, what is dead may never die," and Balon Greyjoy doesn't uh, respond, and Euron's like, "Hey, have the customs changed? When I say that, don't you respond?" And he's like, "You can mock the drowned god all you want without my help." And he goes, I don't mock the drowned god. I am the drowned god. So good. Dude, Foreshadowing at its finest. That was dope, man. I thought that was Foreshadowing so at cool. its finest. By and the so, way, real quick, yeah. I do want to let you know. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't know about Euron as far as the books. So just a little quick uh, history on Euron before we wrap this up real quick. So I don't think the actor really portrayed him very well. Agreed. Because it described him as a book as pale and handsome, Hackhorn and uh, uh, Lackhorn and a dark beard, uh, wears a patch over an eye, and also is nicknamed the Crow's Eye. Um, his right eye patch covers a black eye shining with malice, which we know that's our favorite phrase here, in his left eye. Um, actually says, describes him as... Uh, always smiling basically being like almost a pompous asshole um where he would always kick everyone's ass almost like having that um it's funny you know his brother's theon because he almost has that draco malfoy kind of approach of um, well, better he's, he's uh, theon's uncle uh, well i know but that's why i'm saying it's funny he's related to theon yeah. because he has almost that draco malfoy kind of approach as far as like the books right but just so a lot of people know, because a lot of people don't know the history on Euron, um, he actually was very intellectual and intelligent as well. Um, it describes him as having vicious mind games with his opponents. Um, he's not only a manipulator, but also a skilled warrior. So first thing he ever did was he raided the Reach at Robert's Rebellion, which was a big event that occurred. Um, then at the Greyjoy's rebellion, he took over the entire Iron Islands by himself, burned the entire Lannister fleet by himself. No, literally had like 12 warriors and burned the entire Lannister fleet. Just to give you an idea on that. Um, he destroyed the entire Westernland naval force by himself, um, which actually they show it a little bit in season seven that we'll get into, um, at some point, but during this process where he took over that naval force, he actually gained a dragon egg, which I know that's going to take you by surprise. And when he actually had that, which is funny because it 
really goes to bring claim and praise to Danny because he tried to hatch that thing so bad. He searched the entire islands for a wizard, found a wizard to get it to hatch, and never got it to. It's actually been never proven what his psychological idea was for that, whether it was just to you know, gain power over his enemies or if he actually wanted to have a, a dragon as far as that uh, goes. But then, as far as that goes from there, he actually even then went over to Valyria to search all the way into Valyria into the history of that. So, I mean, it's just... And then, you know, that kind of wraps up and goes into the Iron Islands where he was today. But a lot of people don't realize he wasn't just this pompous kind of asshole warrior. He was actually very intellectual with it. He, he, yeah, he had a lot of like amazing qualities that aren't portrayed as well through this actor. And even as much as visually, uh, you don't really get the good point of that. But uh, to kind of go on from there, because we've only got a couple more points here before we finish up. Ironborn, they don't anoint kings by line of succession. So when Yara swears by the salt throne that she's going to get a, like revenge for Balon, she's told that like it's not hers to swear upon unless the king's mood chooses you. And so I, I did some quick research on what the king's mood is, and basically it's an Iron Islands like uh, tradition where like the the big like heads of houses they will vote upon who they want to be their king. It doesn't go by you know you're the daughter or you're the son of the current king. So uh, she would she, she like responds like you know my father would have wanted me to rule, and he, he responds your father does not get to choose. The law is clear. So kind of like there's no sort of bending with the Ironborn or the Iron Islands. Like it is what it is, and so now it, like this really opens the door for Euron to kind of really take take control. So now we go back to the Wall, and Sir Davos goes to Melisandre and asks her to bring John back to life. And so you know, it was like you said he despises Melisandre, and so the the fact that he had to come to her and basically ask her for a favor. I'm sure it didn't sit well with Sir Davos, but he real also realized he's smart enough to know that like they needed her for something. Like like like, like this like if there was ever a time like this is the time that they they need to put their beef aside to, um, to see if they can make this happen because he does like do you know a spell and she's like well I know someone who done it and, like talking about Thoros and Mir he's like but he shouldn't have had the power and he's in like you know <laughs> Sir Davos basically said well because she's like uh, um, she said the Lord- I come back a little less every time. Well, like it, it for, uh, later yeah. on. I mean, it goes to show, like she's almost scared of it at this point. Probably you talking about Beric? Is that Beric? Uh, yeah. Here? So Melisandre recites the same prayer later on that Beric said, and well, you know, Thoris Amir says it. Beric, Beric's the one that dies. Right. Thoris Amir is the one that says like the prayer, which is weird too, because actually I was going to talk about this as well. Um, what when, when we take our own notes, by the way. Yeah. So when <laughs> when uh. Well, it's, it's, I also want to talk about this too, real quick. Be while they, she's talking about Thoris Amir not having the um, the ability, shouldn't have the ability. He's like, well, listen, like I've seen you like drink poison that should have killed you. I've seen you, you know, have a spirit baby like dark shadow born out of you and kill another king. Like, like he's like, if your god's not with you, know, fuck him. He said, he's like, she's like, you know, the Lord's not with you. He said, well, fuck him. Like he said that too about her god this whole entire time that she's been defending and she didn't do anything about it. Like she's so she broken. didn't do jack shit. She's broken about it at like, yeah. this point. Like she thinks that like she was let down by her lord. So anyway, she goes and cleans up John's body. Uh, she starts chanting 
uh, like those words, uh, puts his hairs in the fire. But Thoros of Mir, why I thought this is interesting and why it doesn't make sense to me, when Thoros of Mir brought Beric Dondarrion back, he grabbed Beric after the hound like slipped his wind and said like five words only. He like said like, yeah. and all of a sudden Beric was alive again. Melisandre was going on a whole chant rant. Yeah. Like what the heck? Why is that so different? And I actually got that chant here, which you bring up a good point because at a point, you know, like, Beric in the books actually doesn't come back again. So yeah. that's a whole another point we'll get into later because he's still alive at that point. But you know, she cuts the hair, washes the hair, puts the hands over her stomach, and then winds up starting to heal the cuts. And she says, "We ask the Lord." to shine his light and lead the soul out of darkness. We be the Lord to share his file and light a candle that has gone out of his darkness. We beg the Lord to share his fire and light a candle that has gone out. Then she says, from darkness, light, from ashes, fire, from death, life. Which, like, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, she had that whole entire speech, like that chant. But when, literally, when Beric and Darian was cut down by the hound, Thoros grabbed Beric and said like six words and all of a sudden Beric was back. And so my question and my theory is, is it because Beric had just died right away in that moment and it brought him back where Jon Snow had been dead for a whole day and a night? Is that possibly why? Because he was long, he was farther gone than Beric was into the other world. And that's why, is that why it took Jon so much long? Well, you know, not I to- think Melisandre was, I don't think she was as accomplished as Beric. My opinion is... Thoros. Yeah, I don't think, I think she was afraid she wouldn't accomplish the task that she was put up to. Think about it. Sir Davos wanted her dead. All these other people wanted her dead. Stannis is is completely done at this point. She's broken down. I don't think, and she's never done a spell like this before. Keep in mind, this is like asking someone to win the O.J. Simpson case and you've never been in a law firm. <laughs> like, it's a whole nother level at this point. And that's exactly what is being asked of Melisandre. So my, my answer to that is I don't think she felt like she was going to be able to accomplish the task at hand. Right. And, like, even Thoros, like, he, he didn't think he should have the power to, to bring her back. And he brought Beric back six times. But, anyways, like, nothing happens for, like, a while. Like, so she kind of leaves that room defeated. Like, she thinks she's failed and leaves everyone. And everyone decides, like, everyone kind of, like, leaves the room. Except for ghosts. Yeah, ghost stays, yeah. right? And I thought that was really, really cool. Because then, like, you know, think it, of agonizing. Like yeah, I mean that's the biggest thing is like they're they're the link between the direwolf. Like the the link is in between the direwolf and the Starks are is really really born into uh, it more in the books. You get like it's barely at all touched upon like their their warring ability and like their how their mind body and spirit are very similar to each other. But anyways, long agonizing seconds go by and we're about to end up the, the episode. It's quiet, little fires burning, and then Jon Snow ghost is licking John at this he goes, point. <laughs> he wakes up like gasping. Our so, boy is back. Our boy is back. He's alive again. He is back. He is back. Is, we got Doug we, back. We got our guy back. So Jon Snow is alive again, and that is exactly how episode two concludes. And you know that's actually how we're gonna the leave king of this. The uh, yeah, well, not yet. <laughs> you keep you keep pushing. Yes. Keep pushing for that. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, no. So. Uh, that's going to be how we leave that here today. You know, when we go into uh, next week, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the further episodes. Uh, so what we've done so far is we've gone into depth between episode one and episode two of season six. And, um, you know, 
during this time what we always do guys and i think this more now more than ever we want to just thank everybody uh for for tuning in and staying with us uh you know if and then really want to shout out the people who not only watch us but also tell other people about us because we start we're getting people like yeah. you know kind of like hey you know check these guys out these kind of notifications as well so um it means a lot to me i know it means a lot to you as well that uh you know we're starting to grow our our fan base uh our listeners uh, there's there's more of them every single you know we're in 23 countries now uh you know we we've our, our numbers are a lot they're further ahead than either of us anticipated for where yeah. we're at right now guys and that's all thanks to you enjoying our content and we know it gets lengthy sometimes but uh you know what we we want to make sure we never shortchange you guys we want to give you everything that we've got every single time so yeah, I mean, it, it really goes to you guys. Um, you know, we never would have thought two guys that went to Cowboys all the time, this would blow up like it did. Um, but what's great is we've been able to grow organically and be came to grow that, you know, that trustworthy fan base that loves what we do as far as loving the content, not just throwing out something to be funny, yeah. not just trying to be podcast stars. That's not what we're here for. No. We do this because this it's is fun. what we do. We enjoy it. Yeah, we enjoy it. And y'all deserve yeah. to hear the, the material and the, the backstories we and have debates and every the perspectives. Yeah. Until next time, guys, this has been The Ridiculous Crew with Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing off.